The following conversation on basic income, electoral politics, and poverty was recorded on Friday, March 20th, 2020 with our Group C. The roundtable really just flowed into the open discussion. There's not really a clean place to cut this one off, so I'm just going to make it a really long episode. I hope that is okay. I don't see exactly why it wouldn't be. Okay, so Joy is still missing, huh? Hmm. Well, I'm glad you're back. I uh, wanted to share some interesting uh, things I'm reading on Twitter. El Salvador has canceled all rent, water, phone, internet, and electricity bills for the next three months, and they're building a new hospital in case of a major outbreak. That's good. It's good that their government can respond in a functional way where ours cannot. I am shocked because all that is is just policy. No new technologies, no waiting for scientists to figure stuff out, just doing what we already know how to do. Are you truly shocked as in like you did not expect this to occur or are you just, you know, disappointed, colossally, colossally disappointed and frustrated? Because I'm not surprised in the slightest. I never expect the government, the, you know, the federal government to work at all in any way. Well, you see, I'm still an idealist. I'm still hoping that there's people who were attracted to the government for the ideals of making every human better. Oh, there, there were, there were. There are there wonderful people in the government right now, and they're just thwarted and undercut by a system that really promotes people. It promotes self-interested bad actors, and it, it excludes uh, good leaders. That's the problem. They're, it's not people. It's the system that needs to change. Well, I've read our Constitution, and the system in the, in the Constitution is pretty well set up. It's our real modern... Old, <laughs> real old, buddy. Not good anymore. <laughs> Yeah, our, our more modern <laughs> uh, way of legislating is absolutely um, a little bit more unchecked. I say we go ground up new country, new founding document, really. Honestly, we can do so much. We've made so much progress socially, uh, scientifically, intellectually in the past oh, you know, 200 plus years since we wrote the Constitution. Uh, I think we can do better. Yeah, but you see, I'm looking at the global stage. America has to compete with England, India, China, thousand-year-old civilizations. And if we just start a new country, well, all of our credibility goes down the drain. Um, that's not necessarily true. Leverage comes from a number of different things, not just credibility. Leverage comes from mostly the oil dollar. So well, we pretty much can do anything we want. I'm actually more interested in what the institutional elites are doing, the major central banks, the major central, uh, basically federal reserve companies and how they're going to respond to uh, where they're putting their major assets and wealth. Go on. They look to England, who has been around for 600 years and still uses gold as its main currency. That has an incredible stability over hundreds of years, which are, is the only thing that these institutions are thinking about. You've drawn, you've drawn a correlation uh, I'm not cons- convinced there is a causal relationship there. Well, I'm just giving an example. A similar example would be uh, China. Uh, even uh, <clears throat> even 100 years ago, they were the top manufacturing dog in the world until we rapidly industrialized and beat them. They're slowly regaining that throne again, and it's not going to be a big surprise if they get a lot more investment from institutional elites because of it. 
the main concern that they have is their strict authoritarianism, which is not exactly the most business friendly. So you are afraid to rewrite the to rewrite our founding document because of losing credibility with the world business community as a nation. Is that correct? Exactly. Trade is founded in confidence and stability. Uh, that's one reason why Greece can't get a break. I don't think that we should be prioritizing trade over optimally founding a society. Well, they go hand in hand, like Yang has yes, said. The thing is the that cultures... you need wealth in order to you need wealth in order to fund people's lives. So we need some measure of trade. Well, what I was going to say is Yang stated it perfectly. The culture is decided by the resources and conditions given, and the uh, resources can be changed by the culture. And which is easier to change? The resources. It's easier just to make a more stable America than to just create a new, a whole new country. Uh, recent history is proving you wrong there. I mean, look at Nancy Pelosi doing backflips, becoming more conservative than Donald Trump. Look at the establishment on both sides doing whatever it needs to do to ensure oh, change. Does I, I completely occur. agree. I completely agree. The current leadership can and, absolutely go down in a revolution. But America allows for revolutions. No, America allows for revolutions on a society scale. Our Second Amendment alone allows for revolts and organized militias that are not officially rebellions. They are American militias fighting tyranny in the government. So why not just, you know, after the revolt, write a better founding document? I say we just make amendments. That's the whole point of them. But no, it's, it, we, we need a, a system that's different than amendments. We need to go back to the baseline because we've progressed. The science of governance is so much farther ahead than it was. Oh, we can do so much agree. better. So we let's can. not have amendments as a concept. We need a new founding document that is not the Constitution. And I don't know where so we're so afraid and it's just stupid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Uh, in in change you know just change shouldn't be scary we I completely agree so much fundamental we see we have identified the perverse incentives in our system and we now count them as uh, greater than i think the, the 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 healthy incentives that make society function which is why society does not function now why go through one by one and pick each perverse incentive uh, and keep fighting the generation of more perverse incentives, why don't we go back to square one and make a system that just doesn't generate perverse incentives? That seems like it's going to be a better return of investment on our time and energy long term. You see, I, I don't think that wiping away the infrastructures that we've already spent trillions it's of dollars setting up. It's the it, only it's way just they're not... too ossified. Oh, I can never agree. change in a healthy way. We have there's no other way than wiping them out and let's stop wasting. But our time. constitution isn't part of that. Yes, it we is. can leave the constitution as no. it is and just change okay. the superficial well, structures we've created reason. on top of it. Even if the constitution isn't part of it in the same way, we can still do better. It's an opportunity to do better. Oh, Don't be afraid. We I agree. Just, it's an opportunity but, but to, to do better. Do better but... The only way we can do better is to throw it out and start over because we can't take advantage of the fundamental advancements we've made in social science if we don't throw it out and start over it's it, it we need to, we need to make a framework based on advancements in social science and that framework will generate legislation we could never have gotten with the old framework there's only one thing i think that we could do that we would need to actually 
make a major rewrite of the constitution and that would be a liquid democracy i think that's the uh, it's where you have representatives and mass individuals because of our uh technology to actually vote on every issue a mass amount of randomly selected individuals and then a handful of um, elected representatives to actually write and work the administration of it uh as well as, of course, democracy dollars and other legislative tools to prevent corruption. Because we, you're right, social sciences have advanced a lot, and we can do a lot with our legislature. But I, I think that's the only thing that we would need to change the Constitution to get that would actually be better in terms of government governance. Everything else I mean, we can maybe, just make an amendment maybe for. Maybe you haven't, haven't you ever just given it a lot of thought? You ever played the game mentally of like, what is a better way to pick laws? What systems can I design in my mind? Can't you in your mind come up with a dozen right now that if we could start from square one, you would implement before the one we have? Someone calls their representative. That representative makes a bill. That bill goes through several dozen other people and can die at any point to make a big change. It then gets through one major house, goes to the Senate, does the same thing where it can die, in almost any at any time then it goes to the president who will actually read it and figure out how to execute the law Mm -hmm. sign it and then it will take effect and people will bitch about the law it will go to the courts and the courts can strike it down or amend it themselves this doesn't sound like a great society this sounds overly complicated uh prone to ossification prone to corruption and uh not nimble enough to react I completely agree that it is slow, but technology can make it a lot, lot faster. We just have to be smart about how we implement it. We don't even need to go to technology to make it faster. Social science can make it faster if we're not fearful of change for this just, just because, <laughs> you know? Well, one, one of the reasons why I think that we're one of the greatest experiments in democracy is we've had 200 years of near true freedom. Like the state has very little options on what they can do with us. Even now in a global pandemic, they're like, please stay at home. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's the best they're doing. Yeah. Some, some cities are taking up the authority to ensure curfews, to ensure that clubs and bars and restaurants are closed, but the states, the federal government themselves are not taking up that responsibility. Our system is very flexible for a rapid response on several different levels. It's just our federal government, the society-wide changes that are actually painfully slow. And they can be faster if we have enough people who care about it, as we've seen with Donald Trump endorsing a a base income. that's a suboptimal way to make it faster. You want a suboptimal way to make it faster. I don't know why you want to waste all this effort when we could put hundreds of the effort in to change it systemically. This is probably the only point that I'm actually a conservative on. Mm-hmm. Our honor it's as a trading pop. Yeah, go on. At our honor, I completely agree it is. But I, I mean at the true like European conservative. Okay. Not American that conservative. Traditional, classic, historic. Uh, so our honor and tradition as a trading partner is ingrained in how well we've held ourselves together. Remember, we went to a civil war. Because some of our states didn't want to be part of the federal reason wrong. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but like, but before we get off on a tangent, you 
have made an attribution error. Our leverage comes from something else. It doesn't yeah. come from our reputation. They say that to save face. Our leverage just comes from our economic power to demand, our military power to demand to make other nations cow. We control the oil dollar. We do what we want. And if they say, oh, we respect America, it makes them look better to each other and to us than, oh, we fear America and we can't work with them. We don't like them. They have to work with us. So they, I, have I wasn't say, even. they have to have this narrative where it's like, oh, no, it's our good reputation. Bullshit. Our reputation just means nothing. Our reputation, it doesn't really matter. That's when I, where, where I was going with the Civil War was our internal reputation, the reputation among the states as a united monolith. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's what I was meaning by that. <laughs> gotcha. Because, well, um, yes, as a trading partner to other countries, that's very important. But if we, if even like California uh, secedes, that's going to take a major uh, amount of legislative work in the federal government to even get that done. And we may right. go to another war over it. Right. I, I highly doubt that because I mean, wars are severely diminished now. Yeah, we can have a constitutional convention to, to, to throw out the Constitution if you want. There's a mechanism without going to a war. Oh, yeah. I, 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 that's the point. I love our Constitution because it is so flexible. It has so many yeah, mechanisms to change I itself. Love, it, it, built a, it lovingly built a self-destruct button. It lovingly built a, like, you know, pull the plug uh, clause. And now it's time. It's time to say goodbye, old friend. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> but you see, there's also the title of it, you know? Because no, 200 shit. years, the goal of America no. is freedom. No, America's, the brand of America is, is, is not good on the world stage. We're, we're villains. People don't like us. We're not good to ourselves. We're ashamed of ourselves. We have the worst mental illness in the world because we don't like ourselves. That's as simple as that. So time to stop romanticizing history. Time to stop. We should be Germany after World War II. We should be ashamed of ourselves and changing. <laughs> I, I, I really would appreciate it if America could have such a humiliating event like that happen. But we just did. We are experiencing it. We're going to have the worst deaths of, uh, you know, what? Yeah, I actually wanted to bring that up on this question um, because uh, that's something I've been contemplating. I've been reading uh, from other experts and it sounds like we could experience a death rate of one out of every 600 to one out of every thousand Americans dying, not just, not just getting severely sick, dying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a hor horrifying. And one would hope that at least it, it, it is the event that makes us reassess ourselves and say, Oh, we were doing it wrong. We we're lying to ourselves. This is why we had mental illness in this country at impossible levels. This is why, we had this internal hypocrisy, like the way we lived didn't make sense. Uh, we didn't follow our own rules. Our own rules contradicted uh, our, our, themselves. We'd become, you know, kind of a banana republic. Uh, so this is the moment. Maybe, maybe we fundamentally change society, but I don't know. I mean, I've never seen things go right in my lifetime. So I, I it's so hard. Oh, I completely agree. Hope I, I've, it's, it's just disappointing every time. Even, even looking at the data for the past 50 years, our government has only been chasing base greed and wealth accumulation. The last time we did anything of meaningful change was during the 70s when we had massive civil rights riots and a, a movement. And we don't have it, it. Us to do that anymore. 
we just don't have the culture where we riot and you know pros and cons i'm not i'm like I'd be, a hypocrite. I'd be a hypocrite if i was like let's get our yellow. and i and i am on twitter when i get really mad i'm like i'm going to get my yellow vest but i'm not i'm soft <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm an indoor I cat don't, i don't have yeah. it in me i wish i did i wish i was i wish i did but i don't i have my and, when, and if and when the fascists come i'm gonna sit here and go eh, that's too bad uh we could have done something so you yeah. want to start the show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love having our informal first. I'm, just, I'm glad this was recorded. <laughs> we are back. Take a, take a one minute break here. Hey, ditto. I'm going to go to some water myself. Yeah, I'm back. Could you imagine a new country being forged in the middle of a pandemic? That would be interesting. Yeah, sorry, Angelo. You cut into that. We were talking about how whether we want to... Uh, just amend the constitution to get a more just society or whether we want to completely rewrite a new founding document for a new country because our social science has progressed so much. That sounds like so much work though. That's what I was saying. That That's kind of, that's what I was getting. Like, can't we just do a couple of amendments? Be like, we're good. Yeah, definitely. Cause... I, I have at least three amendments that we need to add, you know, first, a guarantee to nutritious food, clean water, safe shelter, and advanced education, and getting ri- making it into the Constitution that all substances are legal to be used and manufactured under state regulation. You guys want to serve show? Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. Welcome to the right. <laughs> Welcome to the Yang Gang Roundtable, an ongoing discussion of basic income, electoral politics, and poverty. Today is Friday, March 20th, 2020. I'm your host, Shale. I am here with four UBI advocates, my friends, Angelo, Caroline, Sheridan, and Joy is, okay, Joy's having technical difficulties. So it is, uh, you know, myself and my fourth friend is Craig, our recording robot. Shout out to Craig and the people that make him. Thank you. So each speaker will have two minutes to speak on each topic. If you'd like to respond to another speaker during their time, type R in the chat and I will call on you to make a 30 second response when they are finished. You will have time to expound on each topic during the informal discussion, which will follow the roundtable. Unless you are in a silent environment, please keep your mic muted when you are not speaking. Today, we have two topics to discuss. I will begin with topic one. Is it likely that the emergency UBI stimulus will become a universal basic income indefinitely? Uh, let's start with um, you, Sheridan. I'm so sorry. Could you uh, read that to me again? I oh, was texting sure, sure. someone. No problem. Is it likely that the emergency UBI stimulus we are about to likely receive will become a universal basic income in the near future? Ah, I would be hard pressed to even call it a basic income stimulus. It's an emergency tax credit. If you filled out your 2018 tax uh, returns and you made, I believe, over $2,500, but under... uh, Um, um, Just to cut you off. So just to make sure I understand the question, maybe it wasn't worded the most clearly. Um, What what we meant is uh, assuming, you know, assuming we will get a direct cash stimulus, not necessarily the uh, the one the White House is proposing at the moment. Um, oh, oh, I, I see. We'll get some sort of UBI stimulus. Uh, let, I'm not, not this particular one. Let's make a which couple. Is, which of is going to be shot down by the House. 
Yeah, let's let's make a couple of quick assumptions. It is sure. universal. Nancy Pelosi has come around and th- agrees that there should be no means testing. If you are an American, um, have a social security <laughs> number and a bank account, you can claim I'd it. I'd say rather than that, those assumptions, base your answer to this prompt on this assumption. We will get the most likely thing that they will call UBI stimulus, whether it is universal or not. So so make your best guess what we will get and answer based on that. Ah, jeez, because that's, that's... And also describe what you now. think we'll, describe what you think we will get. All right, so what I think we will get, which will be most likely, is probably what the White House is considering. Um, if you filled out your 2018 tax returns, um, you made at least some money because you, you got your W-2s and you uh, filed them out with... Uh, IRS. Um, and you made under, I believe they have 125,000 cap on it. You'll get about, you'll get $1,200 per adult return for every month that this crisis goes on. Um, and if you have a dependent, you'll get $500 a month for that dependent. So I think that yes, it, depending on how this crisis turns out, we could very well see an expansion on the earned income tax credits, which would be a profound, a, a profound change, especially with this administration. Um, because I think that this crisis could go on until we develop a vaccine. And that's portrayed to be 10 to 18 months away. Uh, the reason I think this is because we are having every country get it not just northern countries and uh cold or southern countries every country even in among even along the equator we are getting incredible cases so the theory for heat suppression i don't think is going to prove as true as some are hoping i think that the durability of this virus is going to persist and we are going to continue to see lockdown quarantine people staying in home trying to limit the spread um, until we develop a vaccine. And once we get that vaccine fully tested and developed, it can get distributed pretty quickly depending on how the administration wants to do that. But after 10 to 18 months of getting cash, I'm going to be very hard pressed not to see riots when it stops. So that would be a, a yes? <laughs> because yes, of riots? Yes, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think yes, we will get a basic income every month because of the stimulus. If we can... Uh, get the stimulus across the line and depending on how the crisis boils out. Thank you, Sheridan. Caroline. I actually agree with Sheridan. I do believe that there is a a, a greater likelihood that the stimulus will turn into a version of universal basic income because a vaccine may take at least 12 months to develop. It could be 12 to 18 months. And the crisis is going to carry on until a a durable vaccine is developed. So we'll be, it is likely that we'll be seeing uh, this stimulus for 18 months. And 18 months is quite some time. And once people are used to having that, to having a, well, a, steady, a steady income from the government for that amount of time, it's going to normalize them the idea of a universal basic income, especially since many jobs are going to be automated away. A lot of people are just losing their jobs, you know, and uh, business models are going to change. And uh, people who were 
previously skeptical about automation taking away jobs and making them irrelevant to the way the markets work nowadays are going to be very much in favour of a basic income. Uh, Yes, it is true that uh, this payment, the stimulus, is means-tested. However, there are going to be Senate elections in 2020, and uh, it would be politically feasible to expand your voter base by making this universal. Uh, Yeah, we're mentioning several candidates, like uh, Mike Royer, who's running against Mitch McConnell in Kentucky. Yeah, he's actually running on eBay platform right now, so hopefully he will win. And I think if even a few uh, truly universal programs win, the success of those programs compared to the means-tested programs will be so overwhelming that even even the detractors will not be able to deny the reality of the situation. Especially people who are unable to get employed, especially people who are unable to get employed in 2018 and 2019. I think they would be a very valuable uh, electorate. And how about people who own a business? Uh, Perhaps their business did reasonably well, but now they have no business. They're also going to say, let's make this universal. Yeah, I I really do hope the uh, conservatives especially... Um, recognize what a guaranteed consumer market is going to mean for the backbone of American, the American economy, uh, because you'll hear almost every congressperson talk about small business as the backbone of the American economy. I believe even John Oliver made a joke of it where he had like a few hundred clips saying the exact same words in sync. All right. Uh, is Angela with us? Yes, I'm here. All right. Thank you, Angelo. Uh, you've been so quiet. It is good to hear your voice. I don't think you've spoken <laughs> at all. So thank you for joining us. Um, would you care to respond? Uh, certainly. So hypothetically speaking, assuming that we do get a form of universal basic income and it goes on for a few months, I have a strong feeling that it will be extended out even if the coronavirus does start to go away by the end of um, summer the way it's predicted to be, mostly because of the economic impact that it's caused leading up to that point anyway. So I think it'll stay as an economic stimulus and continue to push probably until the end of the year to avoid the risk of us slipping into a worse recession than the one we had in 2008. So I have a feeling it's going to maintain in that capacity. And once people have experienced the economic benefits of that, especially if people start going back to work and are still receiving the stimulus, it may actually be a huge boost to the society, not to society, but well, that too. But it'll be a huge boost to um, the economy in ways that they aren't expecting. And I think that's going to be a true proof of concept right there. Thank you, Angelo. All right, let's move on to topic number two. How will the pandemic affect industries, business models, and the economy going forward? Um, Let's start with you again, Sheridan. Oh, well, thank you, because I have a lot to say on this, um, especially the business models, uh, because this is going to be a very exciting time for innovative entrepreneurs, because we have online transfer technology like um, uh, Patreon, like we're using here on this podcast. To get monthly recurring, well, we don't payments. actually have a Patreon right now. Well, 
we are we are working on it. I hear. We we, we hope we will. Yes, we will soon. Uh, but like like uh, services like that, which will provide uh, small some small businesses a recurring monthly fee. Um, this is probably going to be a more continuous mainstream business model, the membership model. Uh, Costco uses it to great effect. They have a yearly fee, and they're able to consistently get low prices because they buy in bulk and they have a massive amount of volume. So I think that uh, we could see some of Yang's visions for business come true, uh, where businesses uh, focus on more membership style payments instead of uh, per transaction payments. That's an interesting proposal. I have uh, like a little trepidation about about that, if I can give a response here, we're a small cozy group, so I'll I'll play double duty as a speaker. Because uh, are you familiar with the concept of rentalism? I believe I am, but it's could you please? Of, it's it's where you create an economy uh, based whole cloth on manu- manufactured scarcity, simply to keep a market model alive when there is really no logistical reason to maintain a market based society. That is a, a rentalism is the term for that. So what you're describing makes me worry, makes me wonder, do we really need to be creating artificial scarcity? Is that the best way to distribute this content or these goods, whatever these, these, you know, these um, not scarce things that we're distributing are? You know? Well, that comes down to a moral ethical argument, which I'm not a specialist in. I, I do my best, but I'm not a specialist. Uh, I, I believe I that some things that. Go with your intuition. don't, don't let your lack of credentials, uh, limit. Absolutely. Your, absolutely. Um, your best shot. Some, some items that take real energy to produce atoms of energy to produce should be, um, valued and transacted accordingly in, in a market, uh, way. Cause that takes an immense amount of energy. Now, depending on our energy supply and our energy demands, I would think that information like our podcast, which only takes a few electrons to distribute, would be should be essentially free. But an apple uh, produce, we could absolutely uh, give that a market economy because if as long as we appropriately supply people with the demand that they need to buy the things, because uh, how we form our economy is what I think is the most important. Before we move on to Caroline, I'm going to offer a very simple, perhaps reductionist rebuttal, but I think it's it's pretty good. Once we have eliminated want, not scarcity, but but want, a scarcity of necessities, we can build a stronger society that is based on a principle of giving what is needed without expecting anything except the the security of knowing that when you are in need, it will be given without being tallied, we can build a stronger society based on that concept than we can on a concept of equal transactions, equal transactions, a transactionalist society, which, you know, works to a degree, works in a way. I think we can trans, we can, we can move beyond, we can ascend past uh, a transactional society, perhaps once we have a a non-scarcity society. So maybe we're moving there. So that's my I, my my even dollars. Yeah. A, a quick rebuttal on that. I think humans like point systems. I think humans like each other, and they like giving, and they like love. I'm just a big old hippie. So uh, video um, game. 
I like video games. Yeah, I like video. Anyway, I lo- uh, Caroline, <laughs> um, could you uh, thank you for indulging us in our long back and forth? Could you uh, <laughs> respond? Do you need me to repeat the topic? At this, can you repeat the topic again? Yes, of course. How will the pandemic affect industries, business models, and the economy going forward from this point? Uh, one obvious thing is that a lot of uh, business models and industries are going to be disrupted because there's a lockdown. So instead of, for example, look at the food and beverage business, people can't dine out. And uh, so takeout and deliveries are obviously going to be one area to focus on. It, ha- it happened to occur to me that because uh, takeouts and deliveries usually use less space, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in a in a very central area. This creates less demand for space. And uh, with less demand of space, you're obviously going to lower the, the overheads of your business. And it's also going to mean that rental prices are likely to decrease because of this. And I've also read that the, the supply chain of some industries are going to be infected. Uh, there's quite a bit of emphasis on the concept of efficiency in supply chains, but uh, there's not as much focus as there should be on resilience. And another thing that's interesting is that uh, value-based payment in healthcare is becoming increasingly popular. Uh, I can say this because I work in uh, healthcare consulting. There's also been some uh, controversy because uh, a number of Pharmaceutical companies are taking advantage of uh, the pandemic and increased demand for medical supplies. Uh, They're hoping to increase the prices of these products. Uh, This is not going to be very popular. But uh, on the other hand, with, uh, well, since business is more or less pretty much guaranteed now, there should be less pressure to, to, to make large profit margins when you can have volume. And I'm thinking that one way of, uh, ensuring you know a uh, profit but at the same time uh, not uh, overcharging the patient and ensuring value for the payment is capitation so in the capitation model you pay a fixed fee the yeah the, the patient or the client will pay a fixed fee to the healthcare provider and in return for well basically uh, almost any kind of service whereas in a traditional a traditional payment system you pay for each service rendered to you. So this could also disincentivize uh, unnecessary testing, for example. Thank you, Caroline. Sheridan has a response. I just wanted to talk about that uh, efficiency versus robust um, decision in supply chains, because it is a great opportunity for um, more... uh, this is like you were saying a great opportunity for a lot of change. This is one of the sectors I believe you're incredibly right in. Uh, getting more homeland sectors has been a major argument of the right for decades that we've been offshoring too much, um, and I, I think that that could actually be a benefit. Uh, getting more American-made uh, health products, a lot more American-made um, uh, medical supplies. Yeah, thank you, Sheridan. Angelo, um, do you need me to repeat the topic? Uh, yes, one more time. How will the pandemic affect industries, business models, and the economy? I have a slightly more bleak take 
on this than most everyone on the panel today. Lovely. I suspect <laughs> I suspect that what we're going to see is a greater rise in automation in anywhere that can be automated to make more businesses um, pandemic-proof. So I feel like we're going to be seeing um, much more AI, much more software involved, um, more ways in which uh, humans can actually be cut out of the interactions. Since part of the reason why businesses are shutting down right now is because uh, the risk of spreading the virus from employees to customers and vice versa. So I have a feeling that more automation is coming. Um, I have a feeling that part of the response to that rising automation is going to be um, more work from home jobs, anything that doesn't require physically being there. And a lot of systems can be run remotely. So I have a feeling that's going to be a big possibility, especially since we have um, such a strong internet infrastructure in larger cities. I think we'll be seeing that. It may not be as practical in more rural areas, but there already was talk of boosting our internet infrastructure uh, before the virus. I feel like that's going to be something that's going to be coming down the pipeline. And I see a stronger rise of online business and um, things like drone delivery being a common alternative to the regular brick-and-mortar stores that we're used to today. But I'm interested to hear what everyone else's take is on um, that, especially the automation side of things. That actually makes that makes total sense. Actually, I'm well. There's quite a lot of e-commerce going on now because well, people are not going to run the risk of going to stores, and there's a lockdown in many stores. But there's definitely going to be a change in focus when it comes to business models. I, I think we're already seeing uh, a lot of that automation take hold. I think there is a, a popular tweet that's circulating of a drone walking a dog. So it's, it's, people are getting very innovative on where they can apply automation and reduce costs to expand the volume for demand. But the ultimate problem in my eyes is where's the demand? It, it, do, it doesn't just appear out of nowhere. I would say um, that's what the temporary emergency UBI is supposed to do. And I feel like if UBI becomes um, more likely to become permanent as it's propping up the economy, I feel like we're going to be seeing um, automation and UBI kind of hand in hand, like the fourth industrial revolution being almost a partner to the emergency UBI. I only hope that we can uh, get the UBI ahead of the automation. Since, the, since automation is going to be greatly sped by this pandemic, do you think that this is going to mean that UBI is going to, to be enacted uh, pretty rapidly? I'm hoping so. I honestly feel like this was what Andrew Yang was talking about with the fourth industrial revolution. This um, pandemic just put that into overdrive. So it's going to be more likely that the arguments for a universal basic income and the original premise that uh, Andrew Yang was fighting for all of 2019 and you know early 2020 will become a topic of discussion that hits the news again with more severity once, like I said, automation starts to accelerate to the point where the economy will start to bounce back, GDP will start to bounce back, but people's lives and livelihoods may not, at least in uh, businesses that can be automated away. Yeah, that this is 
really going to be the scary separation of uh, human value and economic value. So what's scary about about that? That's reason to celebrate from my perspective. I mean, we just need to actually build a society fundamentally from the ground up no, that I, I separates completely... the two, which is why we need to throw out you know, our founding There's... documents. Many of our nations, you know, we just need Shale, new fundamental rules. Yeah, sorry, go on. Uh, there's two ways to separate economic value and human value. There's a good way through policy that we want to have happen and we can direct it or the bad way by the conditions of our economy changing so rapidly that people are left behind and people realize it. Riots, anger, people actually wanting to overthrow the government and toss the baby out with the bathwater. I don't think there's a baby. It's all bathwater. There could be an argument for that, but that's kind of my point. Uh, to have this instability is, is the bad way that we separate human value and economic value. Because it, if it separates under violence, the new forged whatever is going to be made on, with violence in mind. If we can just direct our current system to change how it values success, to say mothers doctors, cashiers are the heroes of our society, not the billionaires, the hedge fund managers, the politicians, then we can easily, simply by a story, separate human value and economic value and make it a real feeling rather than terror. And you also have to think, wouldn't that create um, not necessarily a positive future because, say, the government gets overthrown by... People with the Joe Biden mindset that we need to go back to the old ways of doing things, that the old system was efficient, that it's this new technology that's destroying the world. Um, what happens if it goes towards a more regressive uh, system that's even more oppressive than the one we have now? Uh, to me, I, I, I don't think that we the masses would really stand for that very well. It's It's... <laughs> If you've been uh, reading a lot of like uh, on Twitter, especially because there's a lot of vocal people there, they're very upset at the whole Biden uh, monolith. But I understand that there's a lot more Americans who are pretty happy with the uh, Joe Biden monolith. But I'm not sure that they're going to truly see that he's capable during such a rapid change of mindset. Uh, people have been saying that they've been radicalized by this pandemic because they realize that money isn't as strong as making sure our our things are made. Let me cut into this. I'd like to say that uh, this pandemic is uh, this pandemic has increased demand for you know underpaid sectors like uh, healthcare workers, grocery store workers, uh, factory workers. And I do think that, well, this may lead to an increased wages for the healthcare sectors, especially those who were previously underpaid. And I think that this, I mean, we, I mean, it's good that we shouldn't tie human value to economic value. But I think to persuade yeah, to people uh, who are conservative really and business-minded, it would be a good catch. Most of what you just said, um, I'm sorry, but could you please start again? Okay, uh, I just would like to cut in and say that this pandemic has uh, shown has uh, caused an increased demand in in you know more ethical 
sectors that benefit humanity. Uh, so there's a demand for healthcare workers, for example, and there's an increased demand for grocery workers, factory workers, you know, f- uh, from factories that manufacture food and medical supplies. Um, and, you know, people who are traditionally underpaid, I think this could, this pandemic could lead to increased wages. Uh, we can always, we can always talk about uh, how we should not tie economic value to human value, but I think it would be a, a good way to persuade conservatives and uh, business-minded people to say that, hey, we can be ethical and business-minded because it is financially sustainable and market-friendly to value certain forms of ethical work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the, the below needed wages of several workers um, – like janitorial staff, cashiers, um, is a massive hindrance to the overall consumer market. And it, it doesn't allow for the smooth transition from employee uh, from consumer to employee to business owner. It, it cuts out most employees' paths. Is this free and open talk right now? It's always free for you, Ariel. You came in at a very good time. Sheridan was describing how there is not a path towards uh, institutional advancement for most employees of large corporations anymore. Uh, Sheridan, you want to just just repeat what you said in the past 20 seconds for Ariel? Oh, it wasn't for riff on it. It wasn't for corporations. I'm talking about the consumer and small business market at large. Uh, Right. When you are a consumer, you learn a few things about capitalism. Most importantly, limited budgets because you don't have very much money if any when you're just a consumer ideally you'll have a basic income so you can understand how to buy food for yourself but then you'll see want advancement and then to the employee stage and right now with all these low-wage workers um in the current context there's not enough demand from them and in the future uh, context the automation is going to completely remove that chain because of pandemics like this beyond just the financial uh, want. Well, I mean, I can speak directly to that. And I think right now it's not going to make a difference. I I was worried because um, I, um, I was a a seasonal uh, gig worker at Best Buy. Well, I mean, I I was glad I, well, actually I was glad I wasn't doing any kind of gig work like Uber and Lyft and, you know, I was actually happy. It was the it was it just seemed like yesterday. You know, it was the holidays. I was working at the gaming section. I was like talking to customers about the cool new games and like selling all these systems and walking around the store, touching all the technology. And you might say I was a happy like tech camper and you know really really enjoying the job. And uh, but there were a lot of things like what they tried to do was like like you like 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 talk to the customer in this kind of way that gets them to buy more and to finance and to keep financing and to keep buying more but then like i i was giving out yang cards to like my coworkers and stuff like that and then the the reaction to yang's ideas weren't like oh we hate him it was just like meh 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 uh, meh it's like but Think about what that would do for our store if people had a thousand dollars more in their pockets. Because if somebody is struggling to buy groceries, NLP techniques 
aren't going to get them to buy the stuff that, let's face it, is non-essential. Well, you can say that right now in this day and age, like a computer and a cell phone is very essential because it's just the day and the age that we're living in. But these like a TV is not. I I completely right. Like. Yeah, exactly. Like a TV is not, but they, 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 and then when, when you don't hit your quota of like selling things, the manager comes and they're like, how are you talking to them? Are you talking to them and using like these trigger words and like saying it like this and like, you know, you know, putting these little sprinkles of words in to get them to buy? They, if they're financially struggling, that does not matter. They're, it's like, oh, then get them to finance. Get them to get our credit card. Get them Bringing to- Ariel's point to uh, the topic, uh, yes, I think this is one of the key things that will change under this pandemic. Quotas in sectors, especially non-essential sectors. Uh, getting a bottom line from a Best Buy isn't isn't really essential during a pandemic. And hopefully Best Buy can actually be mature enough to recognize that. But from the news I'm reading, I don't think that that's true. (laughs) I heard, I heard, well, actually now, you know what? Uh, Come to think of it, I, I looked up an article that said Best Buy just didn't care that the pandemic was going on. Because of course, like when you're in survival mode, you just want to survive. So they just let their employees touch uh, everybody's electronics and stuff. They let them, um, they, they, they let the geek squad. And you know how many like germs and what people do with their personal computers these days? Like they can just like go outside, touch all, a whole bunch of stuff, touch their pad, touch their cell phones, touch their computers. And like geek squad has to be all over that stuff. Like that is not, and and I heard that they were they didn't care. They just said do it, D- you know, you know, because who else is going to do it? And and they had, to, but 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 now I think if they try to do that right now, it's illegal. It's it's not it's it's not okay. And I said, hmm, I wonder if I didn't. I I I kept my job after the seasons, and they really wouldn't have cared. And then if I quit, I wouldn't be getting my unemployment either. That's so. So maybe I dodged the bullet on that one. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's something to think about, you guys. <laughs> uh, Angelo, I think you wanted to say something. Uh, yes. So I have a couple of things to say. Uh, one, as an IT tech, there is an interesting um, bit of information on the uh, health side of things. Uh, did you know that about ninety percent of cell phones contain trace amounts of fecal matter? Because mm-hmm. People take their cell phone into the bathroom with them because that's how connected we are to our phones. That is phones. so gross. That, that it is. is. Like, so yeah, um, no, 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 but but I'm just saying that. Like, like, come on, you're taking a dump. Just, just like, <laughs> don't like, like, just let it go. Just, just like, be with your thought. Like, like the ba- like, I never take any electronics into my bathroom. That's where I draw the line. That's just me. Yeah, it's actually uh, more common than you might think. That's why we were actually told before this pandemic, um, when working with someone's cell phone or tablet or anything with a touchscreen, um, to wear gloves and typically wipe it down with Lysol first before we get to uh, working on the actual device. Right, right, yeah. But, um, Seriously, yeah. Getting back no, to my... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. But getting back to the main point, um, I have a feeling that... You know, GameStop, for example, did become um, 
get on the list of essential services during the pandemic. But I feel like one of the things that's going to change in the future is the attention economy is going to become more, <clears throat> excuse me, um, more vital than ever because as people have uh, fewer jobs due to automation that are repetitive, um, certain types of work that require a human touch are going to become more in demand. So there is going to be a sector of the economy that gets a boost, but I feel like it's going to be a sector of the co of the economy that's more geared towards intellectual um, stimulus or a section of the economy that's geared towards entertainment, like YouTubers, for example. <sighs> Things are so ridiculous right now. This, this, this can't keep going on like this i mean like i it, it it's like people want a purpose like i like i'm yeah sure like when i'm when i'm not not having a job i like go behind my computer and i and i kind of like you know surf the internet and do whatever but i just felt but when i was working and i was working toward a goal at best buy i felt so much more fulfilled than just like sitting at home so the biggest myth is this bullshit that like oh they're sitting at home and they're just so happy to be like you know like stimulated by the internet no that's bullshit it's like i want to you know do something that that i'm passionate about that i'm that i'm getting money from that i'm like you know serving people but the thing is is that it's it's not there <laughs> you know Right. But and, and when it was there, it was all about like filling sales quotas and stuff like that. And, you know, but my main thing was just to like get the job done. And and like, you know, the these things, it, it just boggles the mind how how ignorant like sometimes these super capitalists are where everything's like, oh, oh, the bottom line, the bottom line, you know, the mind, the mind. Well, well, guess, you know why you're not hitting your goals and your bottom line and all you're doing is stressing yourself out and going crazy and shat, like, like bothering the people who are below you. It's a structural, structural problem. It's not because there's like the, 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 like we're not doing our jobs well. This whole economic system, the way it's structured is screwed up. And that's why it keeps putting you under stress as like top level management. And then you just spread that stress and you just push all that stress to the bottom. And, you know, and, and it's, 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 it's destroying mental health and it's not okay. And we live in a very psychotic society. I'm sorry, but like, <laughs> oh, no, it's true. Um, yeah. I would say that one of the interesting factors about that is that when it comes to our current structure, it seems like it's almost to an extent, a manufactured mindset of scarcity, where mm -hmm. everyone is um, trying to dip into the same resources, but the resource pool is limited because you don't have a lot of people at the bottom that have a large amount of disposable income to be able to buy the things that they want versus the things they need. And people have to make a decision. You know, do I want that new interesting iPhone. piece of tech or do I want to eat today? Right. Yeah. And, and when we don't, when, when we force the people who are thinking of eating uh, uh, the, that come into the tech place, they, they want us to hound them into getting the, the luxury when they're having trouble getting the necessity. And if we can't hound them into the luxury, then the managers get pissed off. 
And it's like stupid, like, like, no, no, no. But, but, but it amazes me how, how, like when, when I was talking to them about like the economic structures that, that actually like lead to these things happening, they're like, Oh, Oh, really? Hmm. Huh? 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 <laughs> because business teaches, uh, informal business classes, they teach you that people have the money. It's just, do they see the value in what you're pushing? This was something that, um, I used to work mm-hmm. for Verizon and this was something that they would push all the time that it's not that people don't have the money. You know, we were pressured to, you know, get grandmas on a fixed income that were calling in because they couldn't afford their bill and try and upsell them. And, you know, it's, uh, it's simple logic. That is where, so gross. <laughs> yeah, it is. So uh, that's actually, corporate training. I, I do yes. want to make a shout out to community colleges and to actual uh, proper business schools. They do teach you as an entrepreneur to analyze the market that you want to tap into and give a rough estimation of what their yearly budget is and what you believe their disposable income could be, and what percentage of that market you could potentially tap into. Uh, This is uh, all very well known to actually think about what money is there. It's it's like, you, you you know what this is? This is like cannibalization, uh, capitalism. It's like financial cannibalism is what we have devolved into. It, it's, In a way. It's, yeah, that, I think that's it. I actually call this economic Darwinism. The mm-hmm. Especially when survival is actually on the line is when it becomes truly economic Darwinism. You find right. a market suitable way to feed yourself or you die. And that is one of the biggest things that we have to change. And that will change day one. People get a guaranteed recurring unconditional basic income. And honestly, it could even be $500 a month at this point. If it was every month forever. Right. Because, because, because now when you hit zero, you just, you just keep going down and down and down and down. It's like, what the, yeah. Cause maintaining a human is expensive. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing uh, to that point that makes sense is there's actually two types of business models. There's one that assumes that everyone has the money to spend. They're just not seeing the value in what you're offering. Uh, The other one is looking realistically at your market and saying, I can offer a lower price and make up my numbers in volume of customers by offering to more of the market. And I feel like that's the model right now that's probably going to become more prominent, especially with the economy tanking, and it's going to take time to build back up. People are going to want that mass volume of customers because they want to hit as much of the market as possible to start to build that customer trust again. You you know, I, I wish there was a way we could track, like, all the people who were against Andrew Yang's idea and then when the, the Trump check comes in, like how many people actually cashed it and how many people actually like said, no, no, I'm I can't. almost I can't. certain the IRS is going to track all that. Yeah. Yeah. And then and I sw- you, you know, you know what the cruel, cruel irony of this is a lot of like really poor uh, Yang Yang who who wanted this idea were like berated by you know privileged douches 
that, you know, it shouldn't happen or just or just people who are like really middle class or even the middle class who are struggling, who are against this idea. And now the, the ones who pushed for the idea may end up not seeing any of this money. And the ones who were against it may actually end up getting that check. And uh, that's just like a miscarriage of justice in my in my opinion. What, what the hell is like it, it, going off of 2018 taxes? Why not yep. 2019? I, I do believe it's because many people had a dip or that year had a dip in how many tax returns were filed. So it's actually cheaper to use that year. Huh. I, I well, don't. Yeah. No, no, no. Nobody says like, hey, like, what, how did you make this decision? Did you did you just pull it out of your behind? You just did you just flip a coin and like come up with all these arbitrary rules of who gets it and who doesn't. What? Yeah. I mean, I I don't understand. Well, to that point, I think it's kind of interesting to think about that. You know, that's just the Mitch McConnell plan. I know that uh, Tulsi Gabbard did basically take the freedom dividend, write it into a bill which is currently sitting on the House floor. Um, interestingly enough, a few of us are trying to speak before Congress to get that particular version pushed. Actually, I would encourage you to look at Representative Maxine Waters' bill. It is actually yeah. better than Tulsi Gabbard's, and it has unconditionality. Right. Uh, so this is the Tulsi Gabbard version. But, but Max Mac- gives us more. <laughs> Maxine yeah. Waters is 2000 a month. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean you, you know what? I, I just think of it as uh, as like justice, economic justice for uh, it. I, I just call it the refund of 08. That's that's the best way to look at it. The refund of 08. That's what we need. We need we 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 want our money back from what happened in 08. You know, like we 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 were told what happened in 08 would help us all, and we'd all be living in prosperity, and everything would be good, and like you know, the money would trickle down, and obviously that didn't happen. So. You know, you know, it's it's like we like we like think of it when you go to customer service and you really bought something like crappy and bad and it doesn't work and everything about its advertising was a lie. Everything that you read on the back, the the, the info about the product was a lie. Well, that's what we got in 08. So now it's up to us to march to our government. That's customer service and say, hey, we want a refund. We want the biggest refund you ever give us because <laughs> because you sold us the crappiest product in the in the history of the world. When you did that and, bailout in 08. And then they tried to do it again with uh, the recent cash infusion into the stock market, which uh, created a temporary bump, and then it just went straight downhill. But I'm uh, actually curious to see what Caroline's perspective is on right. this from an outsider looking in at the mess that we're dealing with. All right. You wanted my perspective on what precisely? On our current market um, structure and sort of how the markets will change due to automation. Well, as you said previously, uh, because, you know, a lot of workers uh, will be unable to work on site, there's obviously going to be a lot more remote working and automation of jobs. I think this is will speed up the demand for universal basic income among people who were previously cautious and skeptical about the subject because obviously they want to guarantee their own survival. I also think that... Uh, I think we've previously discussed that business models are going to evolve and change. Mm. And something I'd like to bring up uh, that we didn't just really uh, go into detail here is you've noticed that a lot of colleges and universities, 
will now be conducting their lectures remotely. And this sort of brings into question, you know, the point of overpriced college education, you know, because uh, you pay so much in, in dormitory rental, tuition fees, uh, all sorts of costs when you go to college. And uh, remote college education would obviously, you can obviously charge a cheaper price, you know. Like, I think if you take a course on Coursera, uh, you can pay maybe $80 for a certificate for a course. Mm. And uh, it's going to, it's going to, it well, basically, it demands the question, what's the, what's the value of, you know, a traditional college education? How is the college system going to evolve? And I think that uh, traditional education, as we know it, is going to become cheaper due to the pandemic, uh, due to the fact that it's going to be remote lectures. And I think that education, premium education, is going to move in the direction of something more personalized. And this is, I think this definitely creates value for the student because, uh, I mean, everybody is different. They have their unique talents, unique perspectives, uh, and uh, personalized education can bring out the potential better in people, I think, compared to something very standardized. And yes. I think this will be profitable. It's going to be very profitable to be an instructor who has a more personalized touch. For sure. Because and, obviously and you can't yeah. focus on so many students. And this is definitely one of the ethical one of the ethical one of the ethical jobs that I think is going to be in greater demand because of this pandemic. And uh what, what, and again, I would like to say that while we shouldn't tie economic value to human value, I think it's going to be a great idea and a great argument to conservatives and uh, people who are more business-minded that if you can say that ethical work is market-friendly and has a demand for people who can pay, especially if you're talking about, say, uh, teachers who specialize in perhaps uh, learning difficulties, uh, disabled children, those those would need more personalized uh, education. I think there's going to be more demand for personalized education, maybe not just for these groups, but for other people. Yeah, for sure. I, I know that the schooling system did an abysmal job when it came to myself, and I was told that I had, like, attention deficit disorder. But you know what I said? I said I never had a learning disability. The schools had a teaching disability. So, uh, you know, with that being said, it's, it's, it's like, like I, everybody told me that like college and university was so different from high school and like high school was like this. And just, I didn't really notice that much of a difference. I, I just thought that the only difference was that like, okay, well now like it, it works in these units and you can choose your own time and you can choose your professors. You have more choices. But other than that, it was like the same for me. I, I I just saw university as just an extension of high school, and well, uh, yeah, I, I will say uh, colleges is definitely an adult school, so it has a lot of similarities to high school, but it has a lot more adult freedoms. You can become friends with your instructor. Uh, you can really have fun nights with your classmates. But uh, on your attention economy point, I wanted to talk about how. Uh, you were saying that even sitting at home for a couple of months, it being on the internet, it's not like a blast. And I'm hoping that most regular people, especially the middle class who look down on more poor people, 
will recognize sitting at home is painful. Uh, that uh, just being in one spot isn't what a human is supposed to do. And that we do want to burden ourselves with something more interesting. So I, I think that a lot of people are going to recognize that having means testing is only a way for the state to enforce its authority and to discriminate against its citizens. Yeah, I, I think it, when it comes to empathy, this can be a large, like we're all in this boat together now. Just want to see oh, yeah. Actually, to Sheridan's point, and I think uh, Ariel, who's uh, been a student of Dan Locke, will agree. Um, there is something that Dan Locke said that um, he's a, for context, for those who are just tuning in, uh, Dan Locke is a um, entrepreneur that trains other entrepreneurs. He's on YouTube. You guys can look him up. Um, but one thing he said was he got rich early, actually, uh, you know, thought he'd lived the dream and went and retired. And after a few months, he was so bored in retirement and felt like he had so much more he wanted to do and contribute that he actually uh, came out of retirement and started another business because he wasn't feeling that sense of fulfillment and um, just the human need to actually be needed, that he actually um, came back to the workforce. It's not that he needed the money. It's that he needed that creative outlet and stimuli to keep himself going. Right. And, and, and it, it just bothers me so much because a lot of these like wage workers can't see it like that because they, they see their jobs as like misery and frustration and getting bored. But some of them like aren't the most creative people. So when you say so, so then when the idea of just pay people who are stuck at home comes, they're like, oh, but I have to work. Oh, no, it's not fair. I have to work. It's like, d- shut up. Like, d- d- you you know, at least you have work to do. Some of these people are like zero and they want to work and there's no work for them to do. Like, so, so you shouldn't be the one who's, who's like, you, you shouldn't be thinking like this. It's so like it. And anyway, if they get money, it's not coming out of your pocket. It, 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 and it goes to everyone. And, and it's this, this, this kind of thinking where, where they think like, oh, but, but I, but I work and I, and I, and I, and I don't like it. So why shouldn't they have to work? And it's like, it's like, well, some of them want to work, but it's very hard to get their foot in the door. And it's, and it's like, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that, that like they, they, they should only be making money because they have to be miserable and they, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such a barbarically stone age way of looking at the world that some of these people still have. I think part of that is just the people that are um, stuck in a very monotonous job where the goal of the company, like, uh, for example, you're talking about Best Buy, where it's just uh, constant stress, pushing sales, uh, trying to get, you know, more people to buy more products at your location. That is what's killing a lot of people's will to work. Well, well, no, no. When when I was working at Best Buy, I, 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 when I was in the section that I liked, I was having a good time. I, I was like the way I was talking to the customers and the way I was, you know, explaining things to them. And I got the store to uh, five star reviews for my store on Google reviews. And 
I, I when 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 my uh, season was over, the manager said, "Oh, you know, I love having you here, and you, you've just been such a great employee." He was a general manager, but uh, there, there, you, you've seen there's so much more fewer cars on the on the road and like people have just like stopped going on the highways but then i i was like telling him you know that the three game stops near where we live have all closed so maybe you can keep me in this gaming section and then that'll that that'll have the customers every time they come in they'll be like oh i remember this guy he was the guy i was having such a good time with he was the guy that like you know explained so well to me and and i swear like all the customers came up to some of my managers and said like oh he was really helpful he was really nice he was really friendly but since they didn't see that instant gratification of the bottom line that that wasn't there like that didn't mean anything to them jerks yeah well that's the human interaction part i was talking about where automation can do a lot of things but it can't replace uh human to human contact so there will be jobs in the future that require human interaction and i think those will probably be in more demand as automation begins to take over and people become frustrated (laughs) with constantly interacting with a machine that yeah Here's the part I hate. You know when you're you're going to school and then the teacher is like, "You're not here to socialize. You're not here to be friends. You're here to just like study and and take the test." It's like, "Well, you assholes!" <laughs> like so I, I get really passionate about this stuff. Like it's kind that, of ironic because in college, you because college is about networking and socializing, right? Yeah, just yeah, about but, but learning what, what conventional you, things. What do they tell you in school? Just be quiet. Don't talk to your friends, and just 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 pay attention to the material. In school, they train you to be a robot. They train they by the bell. They they train you to be part of an assembly line. And then when you graduate, the economy has shifted to do the exact opposite. So we are paying taxpayer money into something that is training us for a land before time, and we're we're funding our own. Um, destruction, basically. It, at, at least in Egypt, you didn't have to pay money to be miserable and to be a slave. But here, not only are you miserable <laughs> and a slave, but you pay into it too. So how does that sound? That's a very interesting perspective. And um, I would agree that the way um, schools teach students uh, needs to change because the strong focus on standardized testing, you know, you're just trained to memorize and regurgitate. You're not trained to actively problem solve. And then when you get to college, uh, you're supposed to unlearn what you've learned from, you know, elementary school all the way through high school and those habits that have been developed and suddenly switch to the ability to both study and learn your craft and network and socialize so that you can get an in in opportunities that come up later. So it's a weird setup, really, because... You have it's to. Di- it's dysfunctional. It's dysfunctional yeah, because they basically suppress your natural uh, instincts to want to network and socialize when you're young, and then try to reteach you that when you're older, when it's already become an ingrained habit to just stick to your lane and try to get the information, study, and regurgitate for tests. Well, yeah, I mean, focus I, I... on knowledge rather than skills. Or discovering your own unique skills. Exactly, Caroline. Uh, actually, um, the whole concept of just uh, study and um, just be able to regurgitate information is basically 
um, something that I'm sure you've actually seen in Asian countries where it's just a focus on being able to replicate something exactly. And, and uh, in certain schools outside urban areas especially, uh, teachers would give essays for students to memorize so they could use them in exams. And this happened quite a lot in Malaysia. Uh, can you continue to elaborate, Carla? So the thing is that uh, a lot of students never really developed, especially outside urban areas, never really developed the, well, great literacy skills. So teachers would give students whole essays to memorize so that they could get decent grades in their national examinations. Those who were not so fluent in, uh, in their second or third language. Mm. <laughs> Where what 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 frustrates me the most centers, is there were tuition centers that made money because uh, they would teach examination techniques and some of them were even notorious for leaking out exam questions in advance. Uh, these would be exam questions for the national exams. <laughs> and and then and then did that have any bearing on how much money or how much happiness they had? in the course of the rest of their lives, how well they did on these arbitrary exams? <laughs> well, well, to, well, the thing is that the society is in a state where the more A's you get, the more likely you are to get into certain courses, into certain universities, and to get certain jobs when you graduate. Mm. Again, it's about financial stability. Right. It's like a funnel. <sighs> but it doesn't teach um, active problem solving, so as soon as you get, you go from a um, just learn the information to actually trying to apply that information usefully, it becomes difficult because you're not going to get a standardized test kind of ideal scenario where you just have this exact um, situation where this you know bit of information you've learned just plugs in perfectly. You're going to have to learn to uh, tweak and apply the knowledge that you have to modify your plan going into that. And I think that's one thing where our school system fails is it just teaches that rigidity. And when you have something where you're just taught a rigid way of learning and then you're faced with a problem that requires actual problem solving and creativity and taking the knowledge that you have and applying what's useful and leaving out what's not useful in that equation, uh, people get frustrated because they're not... Um, they're not taught to be able to work in that uh, context. So okay. they're like, well, this didn't help me. I didn't learn this part in school. So how do I apply what I learned here exactly the way I learned it in school? And, and you know what else uh, Dan Locks says, Angel? He says, be like water. Be able to like flow, you know, because if you can't do that. And, and here, here's the difference between like a solid and a liquid, right? A solid is rigid. So a solid can can break so 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 it, it it like you 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 hit it with enough impact and force it like breaks and it never comes back together now a liquid you can like hit it and smack it and throw it around do whatever the hell you want with it but it'll always like adapt you know evolve it doesn't break like it's impossible for it to break but that's that's why like people who 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 are more in that liquid unrigid mindset are more able to adapt and evolve and you know think but people who are in a very rigid mindset They'll, they'll have a breakdown, whether it's mental or emotional, they'll go crazy, you know, and I think like, that's the thing, they're the solid that can break, 
but people who can adapt and evolve and aren't stuck in, in an ideology or an emotion, like they don't break no matter what, you know? I think you just described Congress. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's why they're breaking. And, and I, think, I think that it was those two, the, the Pelosi and Schumer, who introduced this means testing. I think maybe if it wasn't for them, Mitch McConnell would have just passed the 1K for everyone and 500 for every child. I think it was, it was these, these, you know why? Because they're, they're clinging on to power. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I think part of it is clinging on to power and part of it is not being able to think outside of the box. So they don't know how to adapt and they're freaking out at the idea of doing something that is, feels counterintuitive to everything that they've been taught, which is this is the system, this is the rigid way that we do things, this is the way we've always done it, and then realizing that that rigid model that they're trying to apply no longer works. And right. I think they're having almost an existential crisis trying to fit that um, rigid model into today's uh, crisis and our current situation. Well, then it's up to us, it's up to the wave, it's up to us to kind of like create enough noise show them that we're unhappy. Like, I, I don't even understand how civil disobedience is going to work at a time like this because it's, it's already automatically here because we can't, like, <laughs> we, we can't patron restaurants and stuff like that. It's, it's, like, it's like, let's boycott these businesses that are, that are, like, supporting this, but it's like, we're, like, automatically everything is just being boycotted by default. So, <laughs> well, so it's, it, it's are... a very weird time to be living in right now. Yeah, and yeah. some cities are on full lockdown. Uh, there is talk of martial law and enforced uh, lockdown by elected officials that are saying uh, anyone that leaves their house for a non-essential purpose can be fined or imprisoned, mm -hmm. which is a terrifying thought, but it just shows that there's that need for rigidity in how do you fit um, people into a mold that no longer applies to them you know, you that, apply more pressure and try and force them into that mold is basically what they're doing, like a small child trying to figure out how to put a square block in a round hole. I really hope that the states recognize that house arrest is far more um, appropriate and uh, is more useful to stop the spread than a, to actually put them in a jail with hundreds of other people in tight quarters because that's just a recipe for disaster. You know, at, at a certain point, even, even the rich and powerful are shooting themselves in their feet, whether they realize it or not. Because if, if, you, if you, like, kind of, like, get rid of the bottom, which, you know, God willing, that'll never happen. But, like, you're, then, then who's going to do all your grunt work? You know, un unless they, like, automate it. But, like, who, who and, and then who, who are you going to be selling to? If if no one if if we're if if there's like a complete crisis at the bottom in the middle, then 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 the peop then the people at the top count on some of those middle and bottom services to be performed. What's gonna happen? <laughs> well, we had actually talked about this uh, earlier in the podcast before you arrived. That um, businesses themselves, you know, they're taking out loans or doing other things to stay propped up, but the long term effects are until the average consumer their customer base starts to actually see economic growth it's going to be a slow process of bouncing back because 
you know, you can have the best products in the world, but if no one can afford to buy them, right. your products are sitting on the shelves. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And, and like, you know, and, and that, and that's what's so gross about like, people think that like, oh, people are lazy. The only thing making them lazy is that you don't hire them. So when they're not being hired, they're not going to buy from you, like, or, or, or any of your, you know, neighboring stores, because it's like when I, when I was employed, you know, I would go and I would treat myself maybe to a, you know, you know, a game or like a, a sushi or like something. And I, I would spend a little bit more money because I knew I, I was working. But then when I wasn't, um, I wouldn't do those things. So it's like no amount of NLP of, of, of that, that you train your employees to do when you're cutting out other employees is going to change that fact. You know, (laughs) unless you really don't give a damn that someone on a fixed income is going to lose everything just so you can hit a certain uh, sales quota that you're you're that much of a slime ball that that that's what matters to you and not the livelihoods of people, you know. Yeah, this actually reminds me of a famous quote whom I can't remember who said it originally, but um, businesses don't. Uh, start by trying to pump a dry well. Right. Yeah. And what are they doing? What are they doing? They they dried the well. They they dried the well, and then and then they 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 like fired a whole bunch of uh, laid off a whole bunch of people, and then they said like, what you have to do is to like like. They, they, then they told their employees that that are in sales and things like that, like this is how you dry that well. Like you get every single last piece of water out of that well or else we'll lay you off too. And it's like, Hey, like, what are you people doing? You're, you're, you're mentally, I swear they're, they're sadistic. They're, they're something's wrong with them. You know? Again, I think it's just that rigidity mindset that the market is always there. It's just, we need to tap into it. And I think that's where that level of understanding needs to come that the market isn't there right now. Mm-hmm. It will come back, but it will only come back when more people have the ability to start buying products again. So pushing something, you know, bringing it back to the original topic, pushing something like a universal basic income oh, becomes right. essential for businesses and the economy as a whole to actually right. weather this and recover from it much quicker because I, otherwise it's going to be a slow trickle. It's going to be, you know, instead of, you know, buckets falling back into that well it's going to be an eyedropper right right, everyone's trying to hit that same well right and and what's what's really ridiculous and i i hope we finally get rid of this stupid myth of like people like it's a moral failing that they're 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 economically suffering like this which is one of the most sick evil ignorant stupid myths that have ever been perpetuated on us because because it's like if you tell some uh employee or small business owner right now during the middle of this pandemic that why they're losing all this money and why no one's working for them is because like their their moral failings and it's their state of mind they're gonna look at you like you're an idiot and it's like, it's like, it, there's a pandemic going on. And then it's like, well, how do you think that unemployed people and people who are economically struggling have been feeling when there was not a pandemic? 
when when things were actually going well for you now you finally know how it finally felt to be on that other side and i think that'll that'll open up lines of communication and empathy and stuff like that right one can hope but i think it requires uh guiding the conversation gently in that way saying that you know people are suffering and people have been suffering so kind of opening up that door saying you know the economic struggles that we're having now have always been there they're just exacerbated by the current situation so it shows a real underlying problem in our society that needs to be fixed it just put a much bigger spotlight on it right yeah exactly and i think that and and i think that now is the time where people are going to be less distracted because a lot of times people are distracted by you know entertainment or like some you know show or something like that that they don't pay attention to kind of like the in like some of these more darker parts of our society and our economy but now like it's in the spotlight now there's no ignoring it i mean you can but it's very hard right now <laughs> so sheridan are we um what are your thoughts on this uh could you reiterate what what just happened i i was uh messaging someone Okay, so we were pointing out that um, this may actually bring a spotlight to uh, social issues that, you know, people right now aren't buying, but there was a large portion of the society that pre-existed before this pandemic that couldn't afford to buy and, you know, were struggling to get by day by day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually call this unrecognized unpaid demand. Because humans have default demand for food, shelter, clean water, advanced knowledge, but it's unrecognized by our state and private sector. It's just the market isn't even looking at it. And now a lot of people who were actively in the market and, and doing something are now recognizing what that looks like and that this net, the social safety net, is very limited. And... Even if you are wealthy on paper, um, you might just be a paper millionaire. Like, you don't even have enough to actually feed yourself the next month. Kind of like uh, Elon Musk, where most of his wealth is tied to the stock market and tied to his um, shares in Tesla. Oh, yeah, 100%. Almost all of his uh, wealth is in Tesla. He's actually foregone his uh, salary for, I believe, the past year. I believe he might have taken this quarter's because he finally Tesla turned profitable, but I'm not sure if he did. So yeah, like Musk himself, he's he's pretty on a on a thin budget for himself. And I think that's interesting that uh, Elon Musk was one of the first people to uh, not only endorse Andrew Yang and see the value in UBI, but he's been an advocate for UBI for a while. And I think that comes from his experience knowing uh, what it's like to live on a limited budget and understand that if people are going to buy your products, they need a way to sustain themselves and have actual disposable income that's not going specifically to necessities so that they can get things they want rather than just focus on, you know, okay, payday's coming up, this is what I need. Absolutely. Um, though I will say that uh, he, he is probably downplaying and not doing quite enough in this current crisis. I, I believe only recently he's converted a handful of his factories to begin uh, 
producing ventilators and masks. It's possible that he had the idea before, but he may not have um, publicly announced that it was in the works because he was trying to see um, how feasible it was, what resources he had to put forth to it, and how fast he could get it out to the public. Oh, I'm sure he was absolutely considering all that, but the way he was kind of fighting city officials to get his factory producing uh, model-wise to stay open is probably not in the best public health interest. That is true, although I suspect that part of the reason he wanted the factories open was just to make sure that his employees didn't get uh, laid off because he understands that his employees still need an income and the government hadn't provided one yet. True, true. I can totally understand that. This is why you salary your workers. Yeah, definitely. Um, Shale, are we continuing with this topic or moving to the next one? We are uh, 15 minutes over time, but, uh, you know, I'll give a little a little closing statement, my own thoughts. I've never seen the combination duopoly of Democrats and Republicans that run the federal government fail to reframe an economic issue where they should respond by helping the disenfranchised. Instead, uh, reframe it as a cultural issue so they can take surplus money that should go to helping the disenfranchised and use it to make uh, the, their lobbyists or their friends or themselves richer. I'm not sure how they will do this for this crisis, but I'm not sure why they can't. Because we're going to have a lot more people paying attention. Hopefully, well, I think, yeah. I think their goal is to include the minimum number of people they can without creating a revolt. And uh, they've been able to do it since forever. So, you know, I don't see it. I hope it changes, but uh, I've never seen it change. So we'll see. Well, yeah. with because a lot of people don't vote, that also, that also has the effect of encouraging uh, establishment politicians to not cater to people who are disillusioned. If there was automatic voter registration and remote voting, well, that could, uh, that could incentivize more disenchanted voters to actually vote because they don't have to step off the house to do that. Alternately, there could be compulsory voting, like in Australia. That'd be can, great, but I, we have no path towards getting either. I, I do want to. No path towards systemic change for the United States government. That's kind of the impasse we're at. Uh, sorry, go on, Sheridan. I do want to encourage people that are listening. You can register to vote online. Go and do that. It's like there's uh, been this ongoing register to vote. We're going to change things initiative for you know thirty, forty, fifty years. Yeah, only really now people happened. are actually paying attention. You know, it's like every single time, every single one of these initiatives, people tell themselves that, though. You know, that's the thing. Oh, I think to be a big downer, but you go on. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that with this pandemic and with more people suffering than ever before since maybe the Great Depression, uh, we're seeing a lot more people that were, as of just last year, completely tuned out to politics suddenly paying laser-focused attention on our dysfunctional government and saying, you know, how did we get these people as our decision-makers when they can't even decide amongst themselves what they should be doing going forward? So but the I government can just more. include those people. The government can successfully keep disenfranchising those people, though, without... There aren't... I, I mean, 
I want, we keep hoping there's a critical mass to reach a revolt, revolt, but what they'll do is they'll just capitulate until there's just under a critical mass to reach a revolt. And it will be even more disenfranchised than we had last time. It's, you know, people who didn't recover from the 08 recession, uh, still. So, and, and, uh, now there are going to be people who will never recover from this recession and people will, who will just simply not recover wouldn't be the right word. People who will never enter a life of uh, participation in the economy in a meaningful way at all their whole lives. Um, because of this recession. And all the government has to do to keep this going forever is include just enough people in just the minimum amount of prosperity to not have a revolt. And I see them doing that. That's what's going to happen with instead of a UBI uh, tax credit, you know? And well, uh, I, I mean, it, that's, here's the I, hope. I don't see why they'd uh, change anything. Here's here's the hope. And, and why I do believe we need to keep our current framework. They are not that dumb. They can recognize that now, because of millions of individual ambitions, we have enough ideas that we can support everyone and we just need to recognize it and everything will work beautifully. We only have to make a few major edits, yes, but only a few. We don't have to change the whole thing. It's not that they are dumb. They know that's possible, but they have no motivation to do it. They have no incentive. Well, I think infinity is a pretty good incentive. That's that's what that's what's possible if you include everyone into the market. But they can get more individually if they exclude lots of people and benefit from their labor to live a lovely life of decadence. Why would they ever want to give that up? Because well, infinity is just more. <laughs> uh, I don't think they have faith in infinity. I don't think they will believe it to be more. Sheridan, you're applying logic to politics. <laughs> Just take a moment to recognize that you are applying logic to a system that has proven itself to be illogical. Uh, they, uh, their bread and butter is division um, because they have to be able to divide the country to say it's that party's fault. You need to vote for us. You need to donate to our um, our party so that we can get those bad people out of office and you can get us into office so that we can do just a shitty a job yeah i think trevor noah made the joke uh yeah if i had money i wouldn't need you to give you money to get me more money (laughs) yeah yeah and uh that could be applied to almost anything including uh getting a business loan because you have to actually have a pretty robust profit margin to be able to just qualify for a business loan so it's like if i had the money um, I wouldn't be asking you for money. I'd already have it. And I wouldn't be getting myself into debt to do it. But I know. The cash flows are, are, are the crucial thing that we need to change. But I would say understanding the psychology of um, where our elected officials are at sort of works in our favor if we know how to switch, how to um, flip that switch. Because their goal is, and always has been, do the minimal amount of work and get reelected. The moment they're elected, they're already trying to get reelected. That's all they want to do. They don't want to do a whole lot of work, pass a whole lot of um, legislation that's meaningful because that takes away some of their ability to argue with the other party. And it's all about what can I do to give myself just a little bit more um, leverage over the other party so that I can maintain authority without actually having to do much. I mean, their job is basically to go to meetings every day. 
that that brings to mind a painfully true joke. Politicians look for the next election. Elite leaders look to the next generation. And Andrew Yang was truly looking to the next generation. And that's a situation you can't change without throwing out the fundamental system. It's the perverse incentive of the entire job being an endless campaign for re-election and pretty much no governance. But the context has changed so much. Well, one thing I will say that makes their job more difficult now is they have to do something for the people and people are realizing just how inept they are at it. So it comes to, I want to get re-elected, but now there's more people politically engaged that are challenging my seat. Not even by that narrative. I think people have known how inept they are forever, and we have no power to change anything. Well, that's the thing. There was the perception that we had no power to change anything. We have, uh, just in the Yang Gang alone, we have members of, you know, our own running for office for the first time and actually challenging the establishment at their level. And that's what they're afraid of. Yeah, I I actually disagree with that, what you just said, because uh, you live in New York, but, you know, I live in like L.A., kind of like a Hollywood thing. And like when I talk to my, you know, quote unquote, fellow man, uh, they're so they're they're extremely despondent. They're like, oh, oh, oh." and that that has to do with anything. I mean, people are like that here, too. Right, right. Exactly. No, no, no. But 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 they're so but I think now they're not going to be as despondent because because at least you know it's like well you know at least i at, at least they had their tv and their netflix and uh uh their their job that that they they, were, they didn't really like but they had to do it but now that this this has gotten so serious i don't think they're going to be so as despondent as they were before because that they had that job that was just enough because when people are at that just enough stage they don't want to do anything and they want to just feel comfortable but now that this virus is threatening that just enough i think that they're gonna wake up i don't know well, well it's a nice thought but i will believe money will go to the people who need it in america when it happens and not a moment sooner and until it does i will not believe it can because i've never seen it well, I will say uh, one thing about the current political landscape. The reason why we've always gotten what we've always had is because no one has actually run to challenge the people that are in office. How so you had sure one of choice. That? How can we be sure? So No, no. I mean, people do run to challenge people who are in office. They don't get traction because the thing that matters most, the, the chief determiner of whether you're elected is just simply, you know, are you already there? Nothing, no amount of merit, no amount of anything, except perhaps money, could ever hope to topple that. And this system is so ossified, it is irreparable. Well, uh, the reason why I have hope for this is I saw it recently in my own state where, you know, as you know, Arizona is a red state, um, has gone Republican for the last, you know, 30 some odd years. And we suddenly had... A Democrat actually overturned that. And we've had more Democrats get elected to office in Arizona to where we're going from a solid red state to a battleground state. And it's new, fresh faces coming up in the ranks. Uh, Same thing with AOC and the squad um, coming up and taking over uh, seats that were old and, you know, people that have been there forever that were well-established, well-known, that lost their position 
because people became disillusioned with them over time. The system now, compromises them as they advance, though. When when they do advance, they will not be an advocate for the poor anymore, because if they were, they would have been filtered out and not advanced. That's how it works. You know, AOC really tamed down her, her rhetoric, toned down her rhetoric, and really, really did not become an economic populist, the, the economic populist she promised she would be when she got elected. That is her adapting so she can continue her career growth. That's what the system does. It's the only way. So these new fresh faces are nice now. They're making promises. The only ones who will advance are the ones who will be useless. The system is very good at stopping anything from ever happening. Well, I've noticed that AOC just personality-wise tends to be more um, opportunistic. So it's entirely possible that you know she only half-believed in the things that she championed. Because I noticed uh, Ilan Omar... Um, was very much for Andrew Yang and very much still carries that torch and has been pushing that message that we need universal basic income. I so, think um, she knows conditionality will discriminate against too many people. Yeah, but I think that the system itself, well, it's designed to filter out some people. I don't think that it's entirely um, a lost cause. I just think that it requires more pressure then yeah. the public is willing to put forth because they haven't felt that level of pain yet. But I with really this, want to ask uh, a follow-up question. Up, what is the litmus test for a lost cause in this case? Uh, I would say the litmus test for a lost cause is when uh, you see, when you can apply everything that you can to it and it still isn't changing. We are there. Person. We've been there for uh, a long time. I don't uh, think so. So... I, I actually think that there is a really good litmus test um, because we are specifically talking about America. I think it's when all Americans really feel that overwhelming sense of, of giving up. And that's, I think that's we're close. Four, that's four years ago. We, that's four years ago. That's when we elected Donald Trump. We're there. We're past it. No, he feels like a setback, not like a giving up this is no, I, like i agree it's, up. <laughs> it's a bad one but it's not the big one you know well the i've never thing seen is... you so pessimistic before Shale. <laughs> like i i thought i was okay, gonna Shale? get money from the government and then i learned i was too poor to qualify to get money uh, yeah well yeah. i would say that um the the currents in the in a way uh donald trump is actually an example of people wanting to shake up the system because they realize that it's so broken. Um, I know that a lot of Trump supporters that, you know, I've talked to over the years, they didn't vote for Donald Trump because they liked the guy. They honestly found him to be um, very off-putting. They voted for him because they knew that he was going to get in and piss off a lot of people in the establishment, and that's what they wanted. When he was saying, I'm going to drain the swamp, I'm going to get these... Um, people in government that aren't working for you out, he basically uh, got people inspired that way. And in a strange way, he kind of did succeed in that, in that um, a lot of Republicans that have been pushing the messages that he's now pushing on overdrive, he's just being more blunt about what um, they want instead of just dog whistling it, um, it's pushed a lot of Republicans out of popularity and a lot of career Republicans have left office and for I think that reason. So, so I'd agree with you, and I, but I would say, I gotta say, sorry, Eric, I, I gotta say, 
Um, I, 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 you know, I agree with the reasons we, we, we went to Trump. You know, I did not vote for Trump, but I understand why everybody did. Everybody said, I'm sick of this. I'm ready to roll the dice. And I think that's the litmus test for when the government is a lost cause. When you just go, no, better. The devil I know is so egregious. I'm going to go with the devil I don't. Uh, that's the litmus test because if you wait Sheridan to your litmus test, if you wait till literal, literal surrender, you literally have given up, you have immobilized. And, and then, then, then your government just, uh, completely dominates you. And that's, so that's why the litmus test needs to come before the point of, um, of, 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 uh, of disengagement. You know, I still yeah. don't think we're there though. But number yeah. one, most Americans wouldn't be on board for it. Yeah. Like you said, we aren't angry enough yet. Right. Well, well, the, the, the question is this, is that I know it's depressing for you, Shale. And it's, it's like, I didn't file it. I filed a 2019 tax return, but not 2018 one. So I'm in the same you know, boat. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so the thing, the thing is though, this is a step in the right direction, even though it sucks now, now at least we, we have our foot in the door. Now that we have the foot in the door, we need to kick it wide open. People were like, like, let's, let's take this and say, oh, how did that feel to finally get that check? You know, and then people were like, oh, it relieved so much of my stress. It relieved this, it relieved that. And then businesses will see a boost in the profits because people have more money and then the stock market is going to go on, et cetera, et cetera, you know, all this stuff. And then we'll say like, we need to keep pushing on this idea. And then maybe the career politicians will be like, it was just an emergency thing. We, we can't keep doing this. But we'll say, no, screw you. We're going to do it bigger and we're going to do it better and we're going to do it harder. Because we all think that this finally worked until they, they can't say like, no, no, but it's bad. It's bad. No, it's not. Like, you know, you know, we, we have a chance. We have a chance. We have the foot in the door. Now all it takes is just taking a sledgehammer to that door, smashing it open and running inside and, you know, whatever. <laughs> Well, have you ever encountered someone that has a very strong one-track mind, like OCD level, where you know once they get on something, they can't see anything in the periphery? That yeah. is what our elected officials and our system is like. It is, you know, full-blown OCD, single-focused. But it needs to be changed. Regular review of the system and regular. Well, what I was saying is, if you can force a new idea out of their periphery and into their field of vision, suddenly they're going to take whatever is in front of them and run with it because it's a new and exciting thing. It's like a kid on Christmas with a new toy. They will continue to run with this until they have managed to run it to death. And I think that once we have a universal basic income in place, it's never going away. For example, uh, Social Security was supposed to be a temporary measure during the Great Depression. It became uh, permanent you. because of the fact that the people didn't want to let it go. Not that our politicians didn't want to let it go. So I feel like with universal basic income being a topic that came up now and um, you know everyone trying to fight to one-up each other on you know how much they can do for the American people, I think that they are going to find a way to pass it. Um, I really think that putting pressure on elected officials to pass it is going to actually make a difference because not because they care. I'm going to be honest here. Not because they care, but because they are looking at re-election and it's an election year. Well, but studies show even in election years, 
there's no correlation whatsoever or, or, yeah, or almost no correlation whatsoever between public opinion and policy. It just doesn't exist anymore in this country. There's a direct correlation between between lobby money and policy, and there's just not a correlation. So it just isn't happening, no matter how unhappy we get. Well, it doesn't reflect sale, the policy we sale. get. Like I was mentioning before, uh, the business-minded, when they realize that the, this means guaranteed markets and guaranteed demand, they're going to be all over the velocity of money with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the people that yeah, hire I- the lobbyists are going to see a benefit from this. They're not going to shoot themselves in the foot and say, I don't want to see more money in my bank account and more customers because right. I'm, you know, I want to go back to the status quo. As soon as they, as the influential people start seeing a benefit from it, they're going to cling on to it for dear life and say, you're not taking this from me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, dude, come on, show like, like, see, see, the cup is like half full. Even though I, 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 I'll admit, it's like maybe a quarter full. It's still full, right. but it's 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 like a quarter full. It's like, yeah, it's it's like it's like a quarter full. But the thing is, is that now it's up to uh, look. I think if Andrew Yang didn't run at all, this they they wouldn't even be mentioning this. Or, yeah, this or, would be truly <laughs> hopeless. Like one hundred percent, I'd be with you. Right, right. We 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 this this make no mistake. This is moving the needle. We can we can spend as much time as we want in here talking and stuff, but we have seen the needle moved because of what we did. Now it's just a question of keeping at it and keep moving it. And I think in in the the weeks ahead, we are going to have that chance to make the argument that why did you what 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 was about a 2018 tax return that was so important that that meant the disbursements of this money? Like let's really lay into that. Like what wh- why was that decision made the way it was made? Why 2018 tax return? Who 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 thought that? And then little by little um, um, now, now that the, the regular politicians are already like have the UBI in mind, then, then, then they're going to just fight with the UBI caucus. And, and then we're, we're just going to say like, no, this, it should be this much. It should be that much. And then we're finally going to have a floor that we said that no one is going to be able to fall through. But, uh, and, and then, and then we can focus on improving everything else. But I want to bring it back to something we're actively doing, actually. Um, and I've spoken to Caroline about this. We are actually um, working right now on getting the Yang Gang in front of Congress to actually testify. It will most likely be online due to the... Due to the fires? Yeah, well, due to the chambers of Congress actually being shut down now that Ted Cruz's um, assistant was found to actually be coronavirus positive no one's allowed in the actual buildings in congress so it will most likely be an online um testifying uh that will include the media and everything else yeah what a shock they closed down their business (laughs) right yeah they, they went into lockdown out of panic because you have to remember everyone in congress with the exception of maybe a few younger members are at the highest risk for death you know, uh, when, when I, I do want to make to bust that myth out of here. Uh, even young people are getting severe cases. Don't fool yourself. Stay home. Wash your hands. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying that they're at a much statistically higher, higher risk. risk. Yes. Of mortality, so, not severe I, cases with lasting damage. 
Yeah, of like yeah. true mortality. So right. Um, obviously, they're going to uh, try and protect themselves because you know powerful yeah, people tend to do that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I will say that getting average voters in front of Congress, and that's why we're getting um, people together from both sides of the aisle, um, Democrats and Republicans that are you know members of the Yang Gang, to testify before Congress because when they hear from their voter constituencies that's when they start getting scared that I might not get reelected. That's <laughs> the kind of pressure that they need. Because when they hear each other... I don't think that's uh, true. I'll what definitely join you, in on it. Like, where, why do you believe this to be the case? Uh, let me explain why. Um, the reason why is for twofold reasons. One, they want to get reelected. We're in the middle of an election year. The bad optics are not something that they want. They can survive uh, the, that. I, I, I want to clarify there. something. Um... While most people believe their vote doesn't count, that really only applies to the presidency and the electoral college. Every other office, from your senators to your House members to your local officials, city officials, those are all directly first past the post. So this is how they deal with the bad optics. They make it a cultural issue. They find a cultural framework to take this economic issue and reframe it culturally because it's cheaper. They somehow make it a personal. I don't don't think that's going to work Hey, you know what? It used to be 20% of the the country were lazy pieces of shit, deserve nothing. Now it's 40%. You 60%. You're good. You're with us. That's what happened. But that brings me to the second reason. So the first is optics, obviously, and the fact that it's coming up in election year. Uh, The second is they're hearing directly from their voter constituency that's saying, we will leave you. We will leave you in the dust. Um, We're not afraid to not only leave you, we're going to go to all of our other friends that voted for you and spread news like wildfire that you need to go and we are willing to vote for the other guy. And we're well, not you know, of it's that. just the, we're at a place where you know the parties will mysteriously lose boxes of votes. It's that bad. It's just well, not going to happen. Well, there's electoral fraud. There's election suppression. There are too many tools in their extensive bag to well, stop them at this things, point. Well, both those things happen to some extent. They still have to make it look somewhat like an accident. You know, and they if, will. If, They'll make it look like an accident every time, and that's why this keeps that's, going. But that's where the problem yeah. is. Because, no, there's no okay. problem. Why is it different this time? Well, I've I'll explain why it's different. Well, so I'll explain why it's different this time. I, I know, right? Okay. <laughs> it, for those that you know, know marketing and business, there is um, an old adage: bad news travels much faster than good news. They were counting on, um, you know, defeating Donald Trump and all that stuff, and they're still trying to push that message. But they're they're counting on people not really caring. They're counting on public apathy. Now, what happens when public apathy turns into public anger? And it's anger towards them as their Mm -hmm. voter constituency. If they hear from regular people, regular voters, it has a much bigger impact on them because now they are afraid of angering the people that they need to get them into office because they still need um, people to donate. And whether they like it or not, they are a uh, publicly run um, corporation, they still need money. And their rich donors are not going to be producing enough to get them over that finish line where they're back in the black. Disagree. So the rich donors will do it without anyone else's help. I don't think that they can. I don't think that they have enough financial backing at this point, especially uh, with the rich donors' businesses possibly being 
um, becoming less profitable for an extended period of time, are you really going to waste a lot of money on a politician that you honestly feel is costing you money? So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is um, they are pushing for things that don't necessarily um, work to try and clog up the system for political points because they feel like they still need to get the public's um, support behind them. That's where this manipulation game is going. If they realize that this manipulation game isn't working and that people are getting fed up with them, then they have to change tactics because their goal, again, is to get re-elected. And they know that that's not set in stone. They can be removed. They can lose their office because gerrymandering and all those things only helps to some extent. And if the people that are in those gerrymandered districts decide, I'm not going to vote for you this time, it all falls apart. And voter suppression, all that stuff, also doesn't isn't sufficient enough for a large loss. That's why, you know, you see parties change hands in the House and Senate all the time. So you put pressure on them on both sides, and both sides have a mindset of scarcity. They know there's only a limited pool of voters in their party that will actually say, okay, I'm going to vote purely Republican or purely Democrat. What happens when both of those say, I'm going to vote for the other guy? Now they're seeing they're playing a numbers game in their head saying, can I get reelected? Am I going to lose power for this time? Am I going to lose all these benefits like insider trading? <laughs> insider trading, government health care, government income. Yeah, and you know they may try and run again in you know four years, but they're still going to look, well, six years actually, um, but they're still going to look at it and say, this is not um, good for me because now my job is at risk during a time when I can't make money and the stock market is tanking. And there's not going to be speaking gigs and other little perks on the other side of this, because if I lose this powerful job, there's no opportunities for me in a dying market right now. So that's where the fear is. We have that leverage over them that they that we haven't historically had, because all the other things, all the other tools and tricks that they have in their toolbox and playbook doesn't work right now where the market is so dry because before even in 2008 there was still people willing to pay to see um, politicians give speaking gigs there were still people that had some money Um, there were people that were still going to concerts there were still people that were going to movie theaters Um, there were still businesses that were open and flourishing during the you know economic crisis of 2008 this is a total shutdown of our economy this is completely... Not, yeah, this is not... There's limited opportunity, but I can still find my niche in there. This is... There's no opportunity. So if um, I lose this job, I have nothing to fall back on. That's suddenly a more frightening prospect that their voters will turn on them. And you I see also what I mean. want to point out that this pressure is into creating a new economic tool, a brand new tool for the government to use to avert crises like this and change our society at a fundamental level. And this is only one of many crises that are bound to come. Every time we have a natural disaster or something, we're going to need something to fall back on. So this, the argument and the framework that can be put forth that will appeal to them because then they can use this to try and, you know, put that hook out to the public is 
we're doing this so that during the next crisis, the next event, you know, you are protected. That's why we're making this permanent. We, yeah. the generous people here in office, are doing this for you because we genuinely work for the people and we believe in the American dream and we believe in the American people. And you put us here to make you safe and, help, and to represent you. They're going to put the biggest spin job on this that they can to try and take credit for it, but they're still going to do it because it's advantageous for them. And the alternative is terrifying because, again, they didn't have to care before. If they didn't get uh, reelected, there were jobs at billionaire corporations where they could easily go in and keep making big money. Those jobs are all dried up. There's nothing for them if they leave. So they have to hold on to power right now because if they don't, there's no alternative that they can use to weather it out, make big money, and then finance these you know, campaigns for however many years to try and get reelected. Yeah, it just simply isn't feasible. This you you like I said it before you know you know like when you're in a video game and like um you're just in such a bad spot that you just have to hit the reset button and just totally start from square one. This is where this virus has put us, I think, and I think the UBI is like pushing reset. It's it's like it's like you know because in sometimes in video it's like you're in a ditch and there's no way to like jump out of it or something like that, and then it's like oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when like, you fall like, below the world or something. So here's the legislative solution. The legislative solution is to reframe the ditch in a way that people that you can that you believe you can trick people into thinking they like. The of, it's, it's this reminds impossible me of, to reframe the ditch right now because as every solution that they're throwing at the wall just starts uh, going further and further down. And again, they live and die by GDP because that's the the big number. Um, that's the main focus. Like Andrew Yang said, we're following GDP off the cliff. Um, well, now GDP... We've is already fell off the cliff. The coronavirus put us off the cliff. Yeah, oh, yeah. What we've I, been telling ourselves for a long time is they live or die by GDP. But what we're finding out terrifyingly is they live no matter what, and GDP is not connected to that. I, I, don't, I don't think so. We're, we're, we're just in the very beginning stages of this. Yeah. I think you're jumping the gun. Sorry. Well, uh, to use um, Ariel's uh, video game analogy, they're at the point, in the past, there's always been a save point where they can go and, you know, say, okay, if I get out of office now, like, remember, uh, during Trump's first administration, both the House and the Senate were majority run by Republicans. Nancy Pelosi was not even in office again. She had to run again to retake her spot um, as Speaker of the House. So... If you think about it, there's always been a save point where it's like, okay, I win, you win, I win, you win, but it's the same people that have a guaranteed spot. And when they're not in office, they're off doing other things and making big money so that they can save up to do that next uh, run again to come back. And it's not there anymore. That's a, they're going up against the boss and there's no save point. So that's what's the terrifying to them is they now have a real risk of loss. There's something, there's the a real boss. threat to them now because they have skin in the game. And while you can say they can try and reframe the ditch, the problem is how can you, especially if they declare martial law, which has never been done in America before, you know, looks very much like something out of, you know, the old Soviet Union or, you know, countries that we constantly talk about, like, we're glad we're not there. 
how I, I do you think the, the public is, is going to react? Yeah, but how do you think the public is going to respond to that? Uh, just <laughs> realizing that okay, all the freedoms I thought I had and everything are being taken away instantly. That is what I'm trying to convey. I think we disagree on the public will be at a loss because our culture has no recourse. We have not learned to riot. We have not learned to organize. We have learned trivia. We have learned to lie down and play video games and watch movies. And at the end of the day, we just don't know how to defend ourselves against social structures that are bigger than us. Well, that's the thing. Um, just uh, I know a lot of gun nuts. I don't think that that's true. Oh, absolutely. You know a lot of people who (laughs) self-identify that way, but they haven't actually done the things that they imagine themselves doing in a romanticized way. I don't think they're (laughs) a real issue. Oh, oh, I agree. I don't think they'd be effective, but I think they would make noise. Yeah, they would definitely make noise. And they wouldn't be effective, though. That's what matters. Like, all these things, all these powers we fancy ourselves having, it's like, they just seem to fizzle when we need them. Well, if I've noticed anything, it is that... People actually have a tendency to organize. It's just the government is very slow to realize that. For example, uh, just historical examples, we have the civil rights movement. Everyone thought, you know, a bunch of people going up against the powerful government. It'll never happen. Nothing's going to change. Something changed. Uh, The movement for uh, LGBTQ rights. Um, That's because it wasn't money. All those things they did to avoid addressing the thing that matters, material reality, they will never address that because that's the root of real power. Well, of course it is, but that's one of the things that is their biggest risk right now is money is not flowing. And without money flowing and staying stagnant at the top right now, money can't buy you a lot of things. Um, we're, We're in a situation where the supermarkets have never been empty. Small stores have never been empty. We've never had this. Uh, like I was talking scarcity. about a few weeks ago, we were in a post-scarcity society. We've been in post-scarcity for well over five years, for sure. And now we are seeing a supply shock that is putting us into a moment of real scarcity. And the thing that the government can do right now is get those freedom bucks out and inspire people to stay American. And that's the pressure that we need to push. Yeah, what they're terrified of is what happens when their big donors aren't investing because they're not seeing a return on investment in the stock market. What happens when those people are putting their investments into hard assets like gold? They change the rules of the stock market to make up more imaginary money for themselves, and then they create a homeostasis, and we all just you know go along and pretend. Yeah, but that can only go so far without excluding the workforce. They, they don't need the workforce. They just well, that's, close to the that's, that's the whole communist argument. You can't do it without us. Yeah, well, that's the thing. They tried to do that. You remember, they instead of trying to bail out the people, what was their first instinct? Yeah, bail, bail out the banks, buy and up those just, shit Yeah, they'll securities. just keep doing it, and they'll figure out a way to do it in a way that works without bailing out the people. Eventually, but I mean, it, or maybe but it not. Didn't work. They, they hit the bottom. The, well, well, well come on, like, ah. Gil, like I, I know you're angry because you didn't get that the the check right now, but they sent. They're sending that the, they're they're talking of. They've never talked about. This I was before. just at my wits' end with right. like with what well, was the last thing I would allow myself the last straw to hope for. That yeah, I, I can fully no understand. And I hold out any longer. Listen, guys, I have lived a life of extreme poverty since 2008. I simply have adapted by dropping out of the economy. 
and by dropping out of society in most ways. I have almost not, as an adult at all, participated in the economy in a meaningful way. And to a large degree, that extends to society because the market is our culture. And that's just a big part of the problem. Let me finish. Go ahead. Um, so I thought, finally, respite. This terrible chapter of my life is over. I will be able to participate in society in a meaningful, typical, normative way. But as soon as I sort of emotionally started to allow myself to adapt to that and relaxed, it was taken away. So I just don't really have the emotional energy to reinvest right now, you know? Yeah, well, I understand. Completely yeah. understand. Well, well I want yeah. to yeah. Uh, give you some perspective on that. I grew up dirt poor. I grew up with several disabilities. Um, I have a heart problem. I'm blind and deaf on one side. I have neurological problems. The concept of even being able to get into the job market uh, when I was a kid was virtually zero uh, because I would lose my medical benefits and without medical benefits, I could literally die. Oh my God. Um, with that in mind, I have lived on Social Security, SSI, since childhood. I have experienced the system at its worst. I have had to go to the food bank at times. Oh, I, I don't, be able I've to been eat. rejected from SSDI four times, so I don't even get that. I live on between 50 and like $150 a month, and I've been doing this for, you know, yeah. I mean, pretty much a decade. Some, sometimes I had a little unemployment insurance for the first two years. Once in a while, I'd, I'd, I'd get a little audio uh, gig work or something, uh, this and that. But, you know, at the end of the day, I've been going on between one and $200 for 12 years. And that's way less than SSI. I mean, SSDI would be like a paradise the way I right. live for me. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. how bad it is. Look, look, you, you guys, I want you to like get all this energy and, and just like you use it in a way that's like so powerful. Just Angelo, you have that testifying before Congress. Like we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're at the cusp. I know like this, but I, I'm kind of hopefully optimistic. We're at that cusp. Just shale and whoever, all this frustration that you feel, use it. Like, well, you, you, you know. <laughs> well, Ariel, yeah, uh, that was actually the point I was trying to get to is I've, I've lived through extreme poverty. I've gone through, you know, a lot in my life where I've been told, you know, I may not uh, wake up to see tomorrow because of drugs that they gave me as a child that messed up my heart. And through all of that, I have gone, I have had a mindset shift that I feel uh, may be helpful in the situation. When you feel the most powerless, that's when you learn uh, what to do and to put that energy forward. That's why I started my own business, uh, even you know, though I'm sad, still I struggling. I hear you. Like, I thank you. That's, but like, the sad yeah. thing is that this is not even the lowest have been. So I feel like there's nothing to learn. It's just a waste. <laughs> well, the thing is, you take that anger, that frustration, that yeah. sadness, that sense of well, let, let, let me give you something a little more. And you turn, yeah, and you turn it into something like, okay, if I'm getting screwed, I'm taking this fight directly to them. If I'm going down, I'm going down yeah. fighting. I was already taking yeah. it to them. I don't know what else to do. So there's an app called Capital Call. You just put in your address and it'll find all your representatives and their phone numbers for your address. Um, go ahead and give that a download and literally just call your representatives and, and bitch at them, Shale. Seriously. I've been doing it every day of this, of this quarantine Same. saying unconditionality, unconditionality, unconditionality. And the thing is, 
every uh, call that they get, and here's a fun fact, uh, every call that they get, those phone lines are monitored. Someone has to answer that call no matter what. Yes. And that message has to be taken to their desk no matter what, whether they like it or not. They have to read every letter that comes in. They have to read every fax that comes in um, and sign off on it saying, I've read this. They have to respond to every memo that comes from a call and say, I've read this. And it will get annoying after we, a while. We, we, they we they are still to, human. We, we, like, we have to, you know, if any of you played StarCraft, like Zerg Rush. <laughs> oh, yeah. we, we, have to, we have to, like, Zerg Rush. It only rush works in the first, like, 30 seconds of the match. I don't see how it's... No, like, no, 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 no. It always no. works. Don't believe no. that bullshit. No. No. Zerg rushing always I was works. a Zerg player. I know, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, right. but... but. But the thing is, um, again, look at how well organized we are. And granted, uh, from what I've seen, just uh, having been in the uh, Yang 2020 Slack and everything, we're organized, but we're trying to become better organized because we need to be able to focus our energy in ways that actually matter. For example, think about organized, think but about where we. Yeah, well, think about uh, where we, what we've actually accomplished. We managed to get one of the most powerful. Um, news networks, international news networks in the country to issue a formal apology. We have managed to actually... Whoa, MSNBC did that? Uh, No, we managed to get CNN to do that. MSNBC were um, extremely stubborn, but the thing is, they still had to... Well, Rachel Maddow, actually, we managed to get her to apologize um, on air. Um, But the thing is, public opinion is their bread and butter, and that's what they're afraid of. You get enough people organized. You get enough people to put pressure. That scares them. They don't like it when people realize that they have power, and they don't. And we are an example for other people that are doing the same. We're telling them, "You have power. This isn't that hard. We're if we're able to do it, just as a group of average everyday people, you can do this too. We'll even put. We'll even give you the template to do it. Just get out there." And do it. And people are at a point now where they're looking for leadership and direction. And they're looking up at the top and saying, I'm not seeing anything there. So they're looking around them saying, who is leading the charge? Who is getting things done? Andrew Yang is looking more and more like a leader just from his position in CNN, where he's actually calling the shots and actually giving political advice. Uh, All of us, Mm -hmm. we are actually being present in our community the math hats are out there in force doing stuff right now. You know, those of us that can at least are out there putting, you know, our name out there in the community and getting people engaged. It's all about just making sure that we are organized enough to do it. It's not something that is impossible and it feels like it. And I've had low moments like you're going through now, Shale, where I, I have felt like, you know, this is just too big a task. There's no way that this is going to be done. I don't see an angle. But then I keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and eventually an angle presents itself, and suddenly a door is open that I wasn't expecting. Right. You just have to have the stamina to run through the crap because I'm that's not, their the tactic. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, uh, all right, let's give it up, let's pack it in, guys. That's not where I'm at, but where I'm like, I'm like Rocky in Rocky One the night before the fight. I'm like, I can't win, but. The best thing to do is lose on my own terms. The best thing to do is go down fighting. <laughs> exactly. And the right. thing is, we don't know what's on the other end of that tunnel for sure. We know that it's an uphill battle. We know that for sure. We, we are fighting Ivan Drago right now. Right. But 
as long as we keep getting up and keep fighting and you know taking blow by blow and just moving forward sooner or later it's a stalemate one of them is going to break it'll either be us or it will be them right. but we have it's a battle of and wills and right now i feel like the yang gang has a lot more will left in us than the people that are elected that have no idea what they're doing and they're yeah. just throwing things time, at the wall time. and seeing what sticks. I, I mean, it's it's time to bring a nuclear missile into a gunfight. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> yeah, because we are it's, we're wearing them down. We're playing their game, but we're out right. performing them at their yeah. own game. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. just don't know how to handle it. That's right. why they're trying to, um, you know, look at how active Nancy Pelosi is on Twitter. Do you think that someone that's 900 years old <laughs> learned how to use Twitter on her own, or do you think that she did it because she felt like she needs to? Hey, let, let's get their, like, interns and their staff to turn on them because uh, they suck. We already have um, contact with several um, staffers that are connected mm-hmm. to multiple um, oh, people in Congress. Wonderful. Let, let's, let's turn the tide because, because it's like, who do you care about? Your fellow American people or some opportunist, uh, uh, you know, good for nothing that's screwing everyone over? Well, that's let's, the thing. We're putting pressure on both sides. Their own staffers are the ones that are, to some extent, delivering our letters to talk before Congress, delivering our messages that this needs to be pushed unconditionally, that we need relief now. And it's it's one thing to say, okay, I'm getting floods of calls, emails, letters, and it's annoying, but I have to read through them. It's just part of the job. It's another thing to have people you work with also constantly handing you letters and things saying, right. hey, uh, we're getting this this call and this issue, and you know, I'm getting I'm under a whole lot of pressure here. What do you want me to tell them? Zerg rush. Yeah, and eventually they're going to look and say, Literally. they're going to look around and say, okay, this is starting to break my will to keep putting up with this because I'm already under stressed and I under stress and I feel like I got pressure coming at me from all sides. What do people want to just this pressure go away? Freedom bot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. Just crush them under the pressure. I'm saying, you know, you know, we we we'd get crushed under pressure when we were in school, when we were going to university. Oh, uh, yeah, do do yeah, this. Right? You know, you know, time time to put the pressure on them. Time, time, time to turn the tides. The shoe's on the other foot now. We, we were always told by them, oh, eh, get a degree, get a degree and you'll be fine. You'll make a million dollars more and blah, blah, blah. Now, now it's like pass these, these freedom bucks or you won't be fine. And we'll yeah. make sure. Of that. And here's the thing. How many people are going to the wine cave these days? Just, you know, just, uh, just yeah, hardly just any. Enough. You know, people are, even the middle class and especially the wealthy they didn't get wealthy by spending frivolously they got wealthy by putting their money into things that they knew were going to generate a return now as uh, i'm sure sheridan can tell you the stock market is not looking too healthy right now and if i was someone that was a betting man i would say that i'm not going to put my wealth and everything i've worked for the last 30 years into into something that is looking more and more like it's going to lose me money. I'm going to wait until the stock market hits a low, starts to um, bottom out, and then I'm going to buy then when the stocks are cheap. But I'm going to wait that out. I'm definitely a bear, and this 
falling is absolutely when you want to buy, not put your whole wealth, uh, whole whole life savings into, but absolutely pick up some things you want right now because everything is on the on the falling side. I don't know where the bottom is, but I know we're on the falling side. That's but one more thing I could have done if I if I hadn't been too poor to receive money. Yeah, but the thing is, even if you buy it while it's on the falling side, you may be overpaying for something that you can get a better deal on later. Think about that. Like, think about just the way Trump thinks. For example, he just look at him as a representative of the average uh, person that's going to be buying stocks at the top. They're going to say, "When can I get the best deal? When can I get the most bang for my buck? Where I get the biggest return on my investment?" Sure, I could buy now, and maybe the stocks are going to fall and eventually bottom out, and then they'll rebound. But if I buy when they're closer to bottoming out, I'm getting you know stocks dirt cheap. I'm getting them um, you know hand over fist. And I can actually go and make a much bigger return on my investment then. So I'm going to wait out the stock market and see when it starts looking like it's stabilizing out. And that's when I'm going to mass buy. And that's going to cause the stock market to start to rise. Because as more people buy, those stocks start gaining value. So I'm going to wait until I get the best deal. Right. And, you know, you know even the Warren Buffetts of the world uh, say the same thing. You know, buy low, sell high. And they Obviously. always want to look for the best deal where the trend looks like it's at the bottom end of the curve and about to rebound that's the best time to buy because you're going to get the best bang for your buck as the yeah. stock market I think, continues I know. to spiral I, mean, I, just, down, I think they're going to manage a way to do that without including like the bottom 20 30 percent of, of earners and in fact you know excluding an additional you know an additional 20 30 percent so you only have you know, 40, 60 percent of people included in, in in that prosperity, they will just give out the UBI to, to, to that many people because we're because they'll never hit the point where they learn from the experiment that you can get more money by giving it to more people. They will well, just hit the minimum and that will hit the homeostasis and, and we'll be we'll have this miserable, miserable life that goes on forever in America for the underclass at the bottom. And there's no escape from it. There's no mobility. Well, that's the thing is. They can try and hit the minimum, but where is that minimum? That's something that they don't know yet. And a lot It's of, above um, me, so personally, it's, it's looking pretty bad for me. I'm pretty upset about it. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, you have to think, okay, the middle class is going to try and hold on to what they have. They're not spending anything, and they're the basically cash cow for the upper class. The upper class is pretty much at a point where they're saying, I'm not going to spend anything. You know, I'm losing money on... My passive income, which is like my rental properties, my stocks are not doing so hot. Um, I don't have multiple streams of income coming in because the thing is with the rich is to accumulate true wealth, you have to have multiple streams of passive revenue. And what that means is things that are generating you revenue every month. Uh, rental housing, a lot of people buy um, investment properties where they rent it out and that's a guaranteed monthly check. When those properties are sitting vacant, that's bad for them. Um, office buildings, same thing. When those properties are sitting vacant, really bad for them. Um, when the stock market is not there to hedge that bet when those other two aren't doing so hot, well, then they have a real problem. And then they can go, okay, well, maybe some of my global businesses might be generating uh, revenue, but the global economy is tanking as well, thanks to the coronavirus being a global issue. So they're looking and saying around and saying, well, I'm going to lose money any direction I turn, so I'm just going to hold on to what I have and wait this out. That's where a lot of 
And again, we're talking about people not wanting to spend money during an election year. That's not good for the DNC, who have been constantly bombarding everyone. I'm sure, uh, you know, Shale, you've probably gotten some of these emails, too, where they're trying every kind of scare tactic, like, you know, it, it's done, it's over with, the apocalypse is happening because we didn't meet our um, donation goals this month. Oh, the DNC does not email me because I will tell them not to do that in, in very colorful terms. Oh, I've told them not to as well, and I still get emails daily. I've gotten emails from Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I've gotten emails Well, you from, should let me talk to them. Yeah, yeah flay, all, flay them on social. No, dude, here, here's the part that's really bad is this uh, one-way communication where it's like they send you information and they talk to you and they, they just spam you, but when you respond... They ignore it. Screw that. It's it's like, you know, they have the no reply. Like, you cannot reply. You cannot. So what? That, then that's not a democracy. You, you just, you just t- give us suggestions, and we can't give you feedback on your suggestions that you're giving us. Go shove it. You yeah, know? especially as our representatives, supposedly. Right. But right. Um, that's where this creates an interesting uh, situation right now. Because, again, they're not making the money that they need to be able to get themselves out of debt. Like the DNC is currently having to take out uh, actual business loans to stay afloat. That's not a good place for a political uh, campaign to be. And the RNC is doing the same because their big name donors are suddenly now in um, reaction mode where they're like, I'm putting my money into gold and silver and things like that that I know are going to accumulate value during uh, this crisis, I'm not going to be touching the stock market, and I'm certainly not going to be um, donating huge amounts of money right now because I have no guarantee that I'm going to be able to make that back in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. So it's now at a point where our politicians are afraid of losing money, and uh, to your point, Shale, they don't know where the minimum is. Is right. the yeah, minimum but, but just I, enough I, people I, to rent one or two rental properties? You know, where, where is that minimum? And I, uh, being so close to the literal bottom, I don't think it's reasonable to be optimistic that I will likely be included. Oh, so well, I can understand. it's difficult for me. Yeah, I can understand where you might uh, have that feeling where it's like, okay, I'm at a point where, you know, I'm one of the people that's just going to be glossed over because I have nothing that they want from me that I can offer. Precisely. So I get where you have that feeling. But the thing is, you have to look at it from a different perspective and say, what is it that motivates them and what do they stand to lose? And even if they try and do like a limited thing of UBI and anything like that, it's so much in the discussion right now. And they're so afraid of losing power that any pressure that they get from voters and they don't know your economic situation when you call them. They just know that you are a voter. That's voter. where the pressure happens, where you can say, I'm, you know, a voter, I've supported you in the past, and I'm extremely disappointed by this, I'm disheartened by this, and I'm starting to really worry if I can trust you as my representative. They will get back to you. Um, for example, uh, Kirsten Cinema, uh, my uh, congresswoman, I mentioned two words, <laughs> voter and Yang Yang. She sent me her resume. And by that, I mean she sent me an email that had nothing to do with the topic that I uh, sent it on to her, but she sent me every single bill she has ever co-sponsored, sponsored, passed, who she's worked with in the past, 
how um, she got that done. It, it, if I printed it out, it would have been a nine-page document. So that gives you an idea of just how desperate they are to keep voters loyal. They're afraid of actually pissing us off. And if they feel like they, they want to do just enough to get us um, to follow them and to say, oh, well, I've done all this for you in the past. But if we say, okay, what are you doing for us right now? And what you do right now. It only determine, matters. Yeah, what you do right now is what will determine if you get my vote. Not what you've done in the past. I don't right. care about your entire resume. Right. This moment right now, the decision that you make here will determine if you have my vote or not. Mm-hmm. That's when it hits them. That's when it wakes them up and that's when it scares them. That, okay, now we have to address voters. Because I noticed um, after I'd sent out a tweet um, about how I was disappointed that Kirsten Cinema isn't uh, doing enough for um, Arizonans in this crisis. She went on a tweeting spree. <laughs> and by a tweeting spree, I mean she pulled a Donald Trump a tweet a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Arizona is different from New York. Thing like I, I can shit talk my representatives. I don't have fucking second for me. <laughs> well, because they're used to New Yorkers uh, just shit talking them. It's like. Okay, yeah, yeah, look at this putz up here. What the hell? <laughs> but the thing is, that only lasts for so long until they start getting people saying, I won't vote for you. I'm not just shit-talking you. I will not vote for you. Like, I will vote for Trump's toilet before I vote for you. <laughs> I'm saying it. <laughs> as soon as they hear that kind of anger and passion, and they know, okay, if you're just angry with them, you'll get over it in a couple weeks. They're not going to worry about it. You're just going to vent a little bit and then you're just, you're going to get over it and vote for them anyway. It's inevitable. <laughs> if they think that you are genuinely so angry that you will go to the other side, they will try to appease you. It doesn't matter I how changed, they do it. I changed my Twitter handle to future former Democrat Shale Riley. <laughs> I yeah, yeah I, saw. I saw that. It doesn't seem to make a difference. That's because you're um, not, well, yo, the thing is, you're jumping the gun, man. I mean, well, give it some time. Here's the thing. Again, they don't know your economic status. Tweet at them. Message them. I call do them. I, I tweet them every day. Yeah. Well, just, don't just tweet at them. Call them. Get FaceTime yeah, with them. Get, get that Capital Call app. It, it puts yeah. it all on one app. And um, most of them have a local office. Call their office and arrange a meeting. As soon as they oh, know I did that, that. you're willing I to... I did that once. Yeah, as soon as they know that you're willing to come in and talk to them face-to-face, they know you're a serious voter. That is the kind of person they're afraid to piss off. Because they're like, okay, some people are willing to just hop on social media, but it doesn't matter. People are willing to maybe make a call from the comfort of their own home. That doesn't matter. As soon as you're like, I am willing to go to your office and talk to you face-to-face about my grievances, that matters. And it scares them because they cannot say no to that meeting. They will have to sit in the office with you, even if it's just a video call. They still have to sit there with you face-to-face and answer your questions person-to-person. And they don't know what you're going to um, exactly tell them. They're going to wait for you to set an agenda or whatever um, as part of the meeting. But they know that you're a serious voter if you're willing to go that far. If you're willing to go out of most people's comfort zone to actually meet with them in person, then they're like, okay, this person is serious. This person is probably one of my loyal voters that I need. I can't afford to lose that person. 
you have to play their little psychological game and switch the flip on them. You have to make it to where yeah. they <laughs> yes. they need they feel like they need you. And the only way flip that the they'll script, feel like baby. Yeah. The only way that they'll feel like they need you is if they feel like you are one of those voters that they have counted on, that they need, and you're one of those serious people that might actually take your business elsewhere if you're not getting proper representation. And that scares them. Again, it's not about having just contact and stuff like that. It's about putting yourself in a position where they see you as a valuable asset that they don't want to lose. Because the most thing that happens with human psychology is people don't care about what they can get in the future. They are willing to trade uh, future gains for instant gratification. What they fear is losing something they already have, even if there's a future benefit for it. If they feel like you are something that they already have that has been a solid rock that they can count on and they take for granted and suddenly that is starting to break away, then they're wondering, okay, if you're willing to do that, who else out there is willing to do that that just hasn't put in the effort to tell them? That's when they get scared because now you get them thinking and make them paranoid. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, yeah. It, studying psychology has uh, definitely come in handy <laughs> a few times. <laughs> right. No, and, this is wonderful. Yeah. And again, we, we're talking about people that are still human. They still operate on the same, you know, OS as right. the rest of us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not gods by, by a long shot. <laughs> you know, al- although granted, I mean, some of them are still running MS-DOS. Well, you know. Right, we're running right. Linux, but still. Right. <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, Shale. Like I, I, I really think that we, we like we we haven't like you you put this together, you know, and and it's really going somewhere. And I think like you know just what 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 Angela said, like like we'll we'll have like some we'll, we'll bring some of the greatest minds into the Yang Gang that just by like our psychology and our intellectual wits alone we can turn this whole political game on its head and and get recognition and and like and, and especially in times that are so uncertain right now we have a real shot that when this hard reset button is pushed we're going to be at the forefront of it you know i i just see <laughs> The most likely scenario is one where we fight this good big fight, we make some gains, and we win an almost universal basic income that excludes like 15-20% of people, and I'm in it. Uh, I don't think that will allow that to happen. No, we won't allow that to happen. Because, again, uh, the whole point of universal basic income is to grow people's ability to survive. But (laughs) another thing that comes with that is... You are a part of the market that people are ignoring. People want you as a customer. I dropped out of the market, like I said. Right. Not, hey, yeah, you, like, well, 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 the 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 the, the Yang gang who do get the 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 basic income that's not universal that hits them can donate a piece of that to you. So we can we 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 can be smart about this, and then we can truly make and it this universal. This is all still in the talks. Like, you know this is all still being discussed. Yeah. Or right. you know what I'd love to do. Everyone in the Yang Gang put their money together and buy lobbyists. Right. <laughs> Actually, there is a uh, lobby. There's, there's an firm. onion, right? There's, mm-hmm. a, there's an onion article about that. 
Yeah, because realistically, okay, we say, well, we don't have the economic power to do it. We're not the rich and powerful. What happens mm -hmm. when we all donate together? How much money did we uh, generate for Andrew Yang in a night? Right. How many lobbyists could we buy with that kind of money? How many Congress people could we buy with that kind of money? If, you know, we have to play the dirty tactics, we can go that route too. Right, yeah, we, we, we can go any freaking route we have to go to get this done. And I really think that, that it's going to happen because, because like, we, we, are, we are, like, psychologically intelligent. We are internet intelligent. We are compassionate. I mean, I don't even see if there's a way we can lose. If and honestly, uh, as I've discovered in the Yang Gang, literally just talk to people. You will find out that you have the biggest network in the world. We got connections to people in right. the government. We have connections to people in industry. We have connections to people around the world. I mean, right. we are one of the biggest networks in the world in you know, three degrees of separation. You know someone that knows someone that knows someone you need to talk to. Right. It's just a matter of asking the question because until you ask, do you, does anyone know someone that has this connection? No one's going to stop to think, oh yeah, I, I actually uh, know someone that has a friend, cousin, uncle, whatever, that is related to someone that has that connection. I'll ask them to talk to this person to get our message to the person we need to talk to and get some lines of communication open. We have the biggest <laughs> network in the world. Mm -hmm. We're just not utilizing it to its fullest extent. Yeah. We're That's the thing. Incremental offers of compromise to get things closer and closer and closer to what we want. And for me to be included, we need to go to the last one and the likelihood of that is the lowest. So that's what I'm kind of mulling over and having a difficult time swallowing right now. You know? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know it's, it's shell shock for you. But I, yeah, but I don't think we have to compromise. That's the thing. We will have to compromise on some ideas, but I don't think this one is it, just because the benefits, there's mutual benefit to it. For example, I'm thinking, you know, just as a business owner, the more customers I have that have money in their hands, the more uh, business I get. Just, it's plain math. It's, and if I'm looking at it from just a supply and demand aspect of it, I'm saying, I want those more customers. So if I have to go to, um, you know, Say if my business was a lot more uh, successful right now and I had the money to do it, I'd say, I want to go to my congressperson. You know, I'll buy a lobbyist if I need to. I'll make sure that my congressperson knows that my special interest is getting more customers. And it's in my interest to have more of my customers have more money. Does that mean more taxes for me? Maybe, but I'm going to make it up in volume. So I'm not worried about the taxes because I'm still going to be making profits and I'm still going to have um, a boost in my business stock because I'm actually making more profits. So it works in my best interest to get people like, you know, Shale involved because I want those customers. And I and any business is going to see Shale as a potential customer that they haven't got yet because Shale doesn't have the ability to buy their services yet. So they're just waiting. So it it has to be framed right. That's all it is. It's framing on how to pitch it. And this is what I plan to pitch to Congress, um, at least in my small portion, is supply and demand. Businesses. I'm totally down to help you with that, too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Businesses live and die by demand. Businesses hire based on demand. It's all about reaching an equilibrium with your market. 
And if you can expand your market, if there's any way that you can expand your market that's going to uh, generate returns, you're going to do it because it is in your best interest in the short term and the long term. Right. So, of course, any business is going to jump at this. Even the biggest businesses in the world are going to say, I can double my customer base if I just activate, if I just make sure that poor people can afford my services. I want that because now I can make more profits. I can keep my board of directors off my butt. And I can make sure that uh, people are excited about my products. Great. I just expanded my market. I want that. And that's the framing that you have to give is supply and demand. Businesses want this. It's good for business. It's good for the markets. And making sure that poor people are able to participate in the markets helps. And I'm sorry, but the current safety net system does not help. Yeah. It does not give people enough disposable income to be able to participate in the markets. It gives them just enough to survive on basic needs, which means that that is a huge customer base that businesses are missing out on. Right, exactly. And sh- like, come on, Shell, like the thing is, is that we've made so much progress already. We we pushed this conversation to the national front and now it's like it's like think of this ubi that trump is just passing right now and it's not even after an election season this is march this this isn't thing so he's pushing it right now this is just the skeleton right this is just the skeleton but we like getting it to someone like you is like putting meat on that skeleton and this is where we are right now and and shale you you like it's not even january and and Andrew Yang wouldn't have been sworn in yet, and something like this is already happening. So kind of keep your hopes up, right? <laughs> also, think about this: um, Trump is a ham. Good is good. Bigger is better. Mm-hmm. If he starts seeing returns on investment, investment in the market, if he starts seeing the economy jump in ways that are actually historic, that he can, you know, put himself in a good light in the history books. Trump is yeah. absolutely going to jump at that he's gonna be like throw more money at it throw more money it, at it. it was it was it was nancy and and schumer who did this to you shale they wanted the means, yeah, the testing. means testing not 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 trump and the trump trump and mccall oh, ariel i know that's why i changed my name to- right so what what it's so don't get angry at the republicans get angry at the you know well, at, with trump um, well what i was here's, here's how that, right you have to frame it. It's like uh, Andrew Yang's joke on the term limits. You know how right. you get it across Congress? You tell the current members they're exempt. That we do this for the American people. <laughs> we, yeah, look on the bright side. We are having a partial UBI in March of 2020, and it's not even January of 2021 yet. I'm very happy. For, I, think, I think we have succeeded as a cause. And I'm I'm right. proud of us. It's just for me personally, this is difficult. Right. It's I, I know it's difficult, oh. but 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 Shale, the the possibility of you getting a UBI by the time that Andrew Yang was supposed to be sworn in has just gone up exponentially. Think yeah, about it. I, I was. I, know. I just thought that I was going to get it even sooner. And then right, right. no, no. Time. But when I, Yang I, was running, you thought you would get it after 2021. Yeah, and I want to jump in on this. The, what we're talking about now is McConnell's bill that hasn't even been voted on yet. It's just one of many that's on the table. And honestly, if uh, we put pressure and say, okay, look, flat out, um, if you pass this bill, you're gone. 
We want that build, the better version. Yeah, if Maxine pass, Waters. Yeah, if you pass that one, either the Maxine Waters or the um, basically copy and paste of the Freedom Dividend, which is the Tulsi bill, I'm fine with either. And I'll, I'll push for both and tell them, okay, these are the choices that you have. Either the Tulsi or the Maxine versions. Uh, the McConnell bill, you can go throw in a fire. I don't want it. Um, well, the McConnell bill was going to be a better bill if it were for Nancy and Schumer. So, well, that's the thing. I would love for, to get into uh, the details of those bills, but we are almost at four hours. I really okay. have to call it. Craig will stop recording at four hours, and I have to edit this. And I, have oh, to get these out. I have to get these out okay, in a yes. timely fashion because okay. they're timely material. So I'm okay. very sorry. Yes, yes let's make some closing statements. Stop mid, mid, uh, mid, uh, sure. No, it's okay. Mid discussion. Um, closing statements, eh? Uh, I'm not sure what you would mean by that, but sure. I was going to suggest you just go, we each say just our name and our Twitter handle so listeners can, uh, can find us. But if yeah. you have a closing statement, by all means, go, go ahead, Sheridan. Oh, no, I was just going to, uh, remind all of our listeners that Capital Call, fantastic app, get it, talk to your representatives, um, and for you, Shale, if you have Netflix, there's a really awesome show called The Untold History of the United States. I think you'll really enjoy that. It's That's by Oliver Stone. Uh, but yes, I'm Sheridan Lund. You can find me at JSaberGamer on Twitter. Okay. Is it my turn? Yeah, <laughs> okay. go ahead. My name is Ariel. I, I'm Ariel Mata on, Ariel's underscore on Twitter. And um, I have a re- revolutionary thinking is my YouTube page. And as a closing statement, I just want to say, like, come on, she'll have have a little bit of faith in the future. Uh, and it's we not that I'm really... like despondent that we're going to. I don't know. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can we can we I see good things that that are that are happening amidst this crisis. So what we focus on expands and, you know, let's just try to focus on our energies on what we can get done. And there OK. My name is Angela Mendoza. My Twitter handle is at Hellion Hellfire. And I would like to say what you focus on and what you measure, you achieve. So go out there, focus on getting more people involved, get people informed, and keep putting pressure on our elected officials. We have more power than we think we have. Let's make it. All right, I'm Shale. S-H-A-E-L-R-I-L-E-Y at Twitter. Thank you for listening. Uh, this was a great discussion. Thank you guys for, for being here and doing this. Um, I hope you'll listen again. We will have another podcast for you very soon. Keep attending to the channel through which you receive this one to receive the next. Stay safe. Take care. Wash your hands. Be good to each other. Goodbye.